Here we go, y'all. It's time for another edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show, international style. Uh, we've got two guests from uh, over the pond, as we say in America, over the Atlantic Ocean to England, the United Kingdom area. Dr. Tess Lowry is going to join us. And uh, she's a doctor, physician of great, great integrity, scientist of great integrity. And I'll explain that and I'll show you how we came to know uh, Dr. Tess Lowry as uh, our friend Del Bigtree had um, shown the video in a couple of his presentations and on the high wire as well. Uh, there's some really interesting things happening, uh, in, not only in England, but around the world regarding the wake up call that was not just COVID, but the reaction and response to COVID that's coming up. Uh, also, uh, we have another, let's see, let me just flip over on my notes here. John O'Looney. This is the guy, um, uh, British funeral directory director that has, has shown us what I suspected death skyrocketing, not because of COVID, but after the COVID jabs came into the marketplace. Uh, a little bit more on myocarditis. I'm going to talk Gen Z, which my kids are in, and more. Get ready. Share the show, robertscottbell.com slash listen. And let's get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert show. Scott Bell Show. Well, hoping that I don't have to talk anything about elections today. I know that's a weird thing to say on election day, but I'd rather not, rather not bring it up. Try to uh, distance ourselves from all the energy associated with what's going on. Uh, you know, transformation happens every day, despite what we call elections, despite the elections. And I think that one of the the things that concerns me about you know, an election day, thinking that we put all of our energy and efforts into, man, this is going to change it. This is going to be the thing everything's going to be all right, or everything's going to be a disaster. There's not, nothing in between. And, you know, the sun's not going to come up or the sun's going to come up, depending on if your guy or gal wins or loses. And if, if we displace our own power source, our own connection to the divine, when we put so much emphasis and energy on the external. Now, this is not me saying that there's no basis for uh, participating. For those of you who want to participate, that's not my argument. But just energetically, the recognition that we have placed so much power external to ourselves that that makes us vulnerable no matter what the outcome of the elections are or the election is. Uh, so I'll just say that and maybe try to leave it leave it there at this point. There uh, is a relationship to these elections to some degree to Generation Z as we open the Robert Scott Bell Show today on the 8th of November, 2022. Uh, we have Dr. Tess Laurie standing by from England and then John O'Looney also from England today. So we, we all heard on UK Health Radio on tape delay basis. So y'all are... Here's some of your local country people uh, on UK Health Radio soon as well. Great, great folks that we're going to have on today talking about some very, very important topics related to health, healing, freedom, et cetera, on this planet. Uh, we have um, Gen Z of my kids' generation, okay? My son is 22. My daughter is, gosh, I can't believe it. She's 17. And um, not to pigeonhole generations, but we see thematic elements running through the generations. When we talk about baby boomers, to Generation X, of which me and Super D are in. Uh, my wife is like borderline, right on the cusp of baby boomer Generation X. And then we have the millennials, the single most uh, abused generation medically in the history of generations because of the expanded vaccine schedule in the 1990s due to the 1986 vaccine injury compensation program that made a no-fault capacity of big pharma, the pharmaceutical church, to, to flood the market not the free market, the mandatory deceptive market 
for shots without end that carry no liability should they injure or kill. And of course, that's the era of, of autism more than any other and, and a lot of chronic diseases. Now, Gen Z could benefit, benefit from the horrors of the millennial generation for the parents that were woke, woken up or woke up in time to see the disaster that was the expanded shot schedule. I'm talking here in the United States and elsewhere around the world, but primarily the United States right now. And, you know, my kids benefited from that, certainly, because, uh, you know, my wife and I woke up to the horrors of vaccination as I was uh, learning of homeopathic medicine in my you know early years. This is uh, 1994 when I became a homeopath, but 10 years of, of work prior to that even to get me there. And gosh, well, I think about that. And my wife was in uh, doctors, uh, doctor of chiropractic school as well. So she was open to uh, learning and we had to undo a lot of damage in our own bodies. Uh, from vaccines and other drugs and medicines that we were given because we were raised medically and pharmaceutically. And so because of that, my children yet to be born at that time benefited by our detoxification pathways enhanced, our, our removal of mercury amalgams from our teeth, our, our concerted efforts to detox residual heavy metals from our bodies. And still, nobody's perfectly clean anymore. The environment has degraded even if you don't get shots or don't have mercury amalgams. But we worked hard and we gave our kids an opportunity we didn't have to grow up without medical interventions unless absolutely necessary. And other than, uh, you know, some dental work like dental extractions for wisdom teeth for my son. And uh, really, that's about it. But it didn't require even one antibiotic. So my children have not had an antibiotic, never had a vaccination. Yet at the same time, I, you know, I speak of my children specifically, and they're in that Gen Z generation. This article at Study Finds is reporting that 42% of these young people are, have been diagnosed with mental health conditions. Now, it's greatly concerning to me, you know, the, the question of diagnosis, because if they're going to psychiatrists, the diagnosis is done through the DSM manuals, DSM 4, 5, 6, whatever it is. That's the Bible of psychiatric, quote unquote, medicine. And it's fascinating to note and horrific to note that there is no blood test. There is no urine test. There is no saliva test. There's not even a PCR test, as crappy as that would be, to determine a mental health condition. These are all behavioral issues, and I would argue toxicological issues and nutrient deficiency issues, but they're not looked at that way at all by the psychiatric profession, the medical allopathic profession. They are looked at as evidence of a drug deficiency. Now, in the United States, it would be an FDA-approved drug deficiency. Uh, in this case... Not only 42% of young people dealing with mental health conditions. Uh, let's scroll down. I'm going to find out how many are on actual drugs, medications. All right. So let's see. Nearly 90% of Gen Z respondents believe their gen is not set up for success. 75% feel they are disadvantaged compared to previous generations uh, who are 42 years old and up. That's X and uh, boomers. And the latest poll portrays Gen Z as overwhelmingly cynical about the post-pandemic world and what role they may play one day in it. Now, based on our priorities and our value system, I, I don't, I guess I, I can't fault them for feeling that way totally. Cynicism is different than skepticism, of course. It's a real downer of a look, but I, I can get it. I'm trying to be compassionate here. Now, one in five young adults are seeing a therapist. 25% of the 1,000 Gen Z study participants say they have a regular therapist. Again, nothing wrong with getting help. And I hope that it's talk therapy primarily because you can get things off your chest and that is a non-drug approach. But guess, guess what? This is where it gets really scary. 
57% of these Gen Zs are taking regular medication. 57%. These are young people. My kids' age. Now, my kids are not on medication, but the point is 57% are. How is that an acceptable thing to have young people on drugs? Now, granted, we are alive in you know the 60s when we came about, some of us, and that was the you know peace, love, drugs realm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pharmaceutical drugs used to treat things that there is no test for. 57% of Gen Z are on psychiatric anxiety or other kinds of medications, even SSRIs, which are included in that. And that to me is scary. You talk about real thing, real things that scare me. Now there are a lot of young people in this audience. I get to meet from time to time. You know who you are. You parents that have raised your kids on the Robert Scott bell show and they're not on drugs, which is wonderful. They have a different outlook on life. Thanks to their parents. And I'm not saying that every parent that has a great outlook on life has a kid that's fully adjusted or not on a medication. You, you never know with these kids. So I'm not accusing anybody of being a bad parent or, you know, anything like that. But it's a spiritual crisis as much as it is a physiological health crisis. And that crisis is, is brought about or made worse by the allopathic medical domination of the planet, the people on it. The view that if you, ha- if you have a depression or an anxiety scenario, that all we need to do is medicate you as opposed to get to the heart of what really is the problem. Again, whether it's a nutrient deficiency, a toxicological burden, or a lack of a spiritual life. However, you may define that a recognition of who you are and why you're here. Now, that's also a struggle I remember going through as a young person trying to figure out my place in the world. And that at any generation can be daunting task and could bring about fits of depression and anger and frustration, which is a normal part of the human condition. But to medicate normal emotions rather than address them in a non-drug fashion is something that is of concern to me from this moment forward and has been for a long time. So I just set that up and I'm looking forward to hearing from you moms and dads out there of Gen Z kids. Tell me there's some good news, not just the 57% that are on drugs, according to this first article. And you can do that by going to the Robert Scott Bell Show website, robertscottbell.com slash listen with live show. We have a, a live chat room. You can chime in there. You can get our newsletter signing up there or texting RSB to 22828 you're in the United States, probably Canada works too. 22828, text my initials, RSB. You'll get prompted to get the newsletter. You can also leave us a message at the website, or you can call us and leave a message, 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. Eventually, we're going to be able to take phone calls on the air if we decide to do so, because Superdon has been testing it, looking like it's looking good with the new boards that we have. And thanks, that's thanks to all y'all. Thanks to you. So with that, uh, Superdon, if... Uh, I don't know if you're still getting an echo, but I know that I want to introduce Dr. Tess Laurie here momentarily. And we have a, a video uh, piece, and I just want to confirm with you it's the one I was thinking of. And this is one Dell Bigtree brought to our attention. This was played in a number of his presentations that I've witnessed at events around the country and on the high wire that had uh, this Dr. Tess Laurie um, questioning another doctor, research scientist related to the United Nations on a report associated with the findings that ivermectin had genuine benefit in preventing disease or in hospitalization and all these things. And yet the conclusion was altered by this doctor she was interacting with. And that's where we're going to start 
with Tess. And then we've got a lot more great news to talk about with her, a woman of great and a scientist doctor of great integrity. That's what I've found so far. So Supernaut, if you want to play that video and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it with Tessa and, and more as we go on from here. One, Dr. Hill's meta-analysis had just appeared on a preprint server. In Dr. Lurie's opinion, the conclusion did not match the evidence. Rest assured, I'm not going to let this last for a long time. I don't, I'm not saying we keep going for another <laughs> but year. But you're saying you're not going to let it last for a long time makes you realize the impact of your work. So how long are you going to let people carry on dying unnecessarily? Up to you. What is, your, what is the timeline that you've allowed for this then? Well, what I hope is that this, this stalemate that we're in doesn't last very long. It lasts a matter of weeks. And I guarantee I will push for this to, to last for a short amount of time as possible. So how long, how long do you think the stalemate will go on for? How long do you think you'll allow the stalemate to go on for? From what my side, okay, from my side, every single new trial that comes through, we're going to be aggressively adding it on and i think end of feb will be there six weeks how That's many people die every day <clears throat> well there is a whole group of people who think that ivermectin is is, is complete rubbish it's i'm not talking about rubbish. them i'm not talking yeah. about them i'm saying we know the evidence how many people what die every day Oh, sure. I mean, you know, 15,000 people a day. 15,000 yeah, people a day times six weeks? Yeah, sure. First, no, I get it. To get it into the UK. Uh, he seemed to be really uncomfortable and making excuses. Well, uh, Dr. Tesslory, I want to bring you in and ask, uh, and thank you for what you, you're doing, what you've done in standing up to people that have less than the courage that I think God had given us. And it's a choice that we make to uh, move away from that or embrace it and, and, and go headlong into it to help folks like you have done and are doing. Uh, have you spoken to that gentleman since that video was taken of your interaction? No, I haven't. Um, we had some email correspondence. Well, I emailed him uh, a few times um, and, uh, and I haven't had a re reply. And so we made a documentary, just a 20 minute documentary of a letter that I wrote to him in January this year, because that was actually from January last year. Mm -hmm. So um, a year to the date, um, I emailed him to say, it's been a year, uh, please can you come forward and just um, explain what the pressures were you were under to um, to make the, you know, re draw the conclusion that you did. Because in that interview, in that that meeting I had with him, he said that his conclusions had been influenced by his sponsor, which was Unitaid. Um, so uh, I didn't get a reply to that. So we made a short video of me reading the um, the letter and put some of the uh, the imagery to, to it. And I think it was viewed, um, it's been viewed over a million times or so. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but we've had no response from Andrew Hill. I, I just wonder how many medications he must be on to deal with the conscience that he has to bury uh, to do what he has done. Clearly, the data was there. The information was there. You were able to communicate it. He was clearly aware of it, as uncomfortable as he was. And he had the ability to change uh, and, and have integrity in terms of the uh, conclusion in that peer-reviewed published article and did not change it. And he said it would be a short period of time and a year later, nothing. Uh, I so. think what's what's mm -hmm. become apparent to me, what was apparent to me then, is that the corruption of sciences uh, and of these academic institutions is so endemic 
that uh, when you're in it, you don't really, you know, your moral compass is just, you know, you just. So I think um, my impression was that he, d it was just normal, you know. So which was why he could reveal that yeah. to me. And yeah, I, well, I've I never worked in in those institutions. I've always been an independent academic, mm -hmm. and so I haven't, ha you know, seen that um, uh, before. But uh, Dr. Laurie, it's still a shock to many people that have not been in academia, other than maybe they went to university, graduated, they're on with their lives. But if you spend your time in uh, education, in uh, research that res that really relies upon grants, heavily involved with the government, which has been captured, as we know, the agencies themselves have been captured by, for instance, pharmaceutical interests, industry interests, uh, that it is shocking for those that have revered these institutions of either higher learning or uh, higher scientific inquiry to learn that much of the science is so corrupt that we can't tell what is real and what isn't in a general sense without really digging into, let's see who funded this, what other conflicts of interest might be present to make a conclusion so opposite to what the actual conclusion was or is. Yeah, absolutely. And one really has to look very closely at these universities now, whatever comes out of them. And I'm talking about Oxford, you know, John Hopkins, all these top, top universities. They're the ones that attract, you know, these corrupt practices um, and these huge um, grants. And and it's how they, in they, they, for example, the Oxford universities had millions uh, from the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, and uh, and then obviously attracted loads of um, pharmaceutical money um, for the development of vaccines and so on. So, and and I don't think it's limited to uh, to the pharmaceutical industry. I think probably it runs across um, uh, you know the corporate interests, and uh, and one ends up with you know really having to question everything that comes out of these universities, including. The, the graduates, because they're particularly, for example, doctors graduating there, they're going to be weaned on, uh, on you know, pharmaceutical protocols. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and in fact, that's indeed what we've seen. And so one has doctors nowadays that can't, um, you know, that, that, uh, that practice this very um, mm -hmm. uh, pharmaceutical-driven uh, medicine, medical approach. Yeah. Well, the last hundred years have seen, uh, you know, an, a, a great, uh, let's say, advancement in a lot of scientific endeavors, <clears throat> some extraordinary things that we've witnessed in our lifetime and even our parents' lifetime. Yet our heralding of the doctors, our um, putting them on, on, on pedestals has been something that has caused also great harm and extraordinary numbers of untold deaths and told deaths. Now, coming more obvious in the COVID crazy area we've just come through or maybe still lingering to the point that we must question our reverence, if you will, to these institutions and start looking with a critical eye, maybe a cynical eye. We're talking about Gen Z being cynical, but I have certainly developed a, a great cynicism about the allopathic institutions out there that dominate the Western mindset and thought when it comes to healthcare or healing to realize that they are the third or second or first leading cause of death, depending on how you run the numbers, even published from you know, year 2000 forward in the New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of the American Medical Association, Lancet, and otherwise, uh, that you know says we should not be, let's say, putting these folks up on a pedestal. We should be you know calling them to the carpet and vigorously defending our freedom to question them, much less reject that which they say we must do. 
Yeah, well, I think you have to look at how they're actually, um, you know, how they're selected in the first place. And generally you get, certainly in this country and others, you know, it's so difficult to get into medicine uh, and, it, and it becomes this, you know, this um, an end in itself to get in. And so that the sorts of individuals you have going in are highly compliant uh, individuals. You know, they, they, um, they like to, to, um, to please and they like to, they're high, high achievers, they like to get the high marks. So individuals who are being selected for medicine are not um, natural healers or, you know, necessarily called. Um, there's all sorts of pressures. There's, there's the, there's this uh, sort of kudos just to get into medical school and for your family to say, oh, my son's studying medicine at Harvard or whatever. Uh, and so um, it just attracts the wrong sort of people or, or the wrong sort of people are selected. Um, I, I shouldn't generalize too broadly. Obviously, there are wonderful doctors, allopathic doctors, um, who uh, who you know, who practice uh, you know a holistic sort of approach and listen to listen to people and mm -hmm. and not um, patronize. Yeah, we, them. we certainly acknowledge and feature the doctors that remain open and that are opening their minds and hearts, if, as you will, to uh, forms of medicine they didn't learn about in their schools. These are trade schools, basically, you know, because they look down on trade schools, but actually it is a trade school. You come out and what do you've learned to do? Basically, write a prescription for a, an FDA approved in the United States, synthetic toxic pharmaceutical patented product. And this is, you know, born of the 1910 Flexner Report moving forward, uh, you know, 110, 113 years, wherever we are now since that time. And it's a harsh wake up. It's a harsh reality at this point. It's a struggle for some. Yet I, I want to, you know, help guide people that we we can come together. And I'm seeing evidence of that physician community coming together with homeopaths and naturopaths and herbalists and chiropractors to say, you know what? None of us have a lock on this. We need to cooperate. We need to work together. We need to share what works, share what's not working for the benefit of those that need our help. And as you pointed out, uh, just because you can go to medical school and get in, you're often weeded out of that critical thinking because it would call and cause most people of sound mind to question the idea that anybody suffers from a pharmaceutical drug deficiency. Yes, and there's often a sort of disparaging approach to uh, to holistic healers. So, um, you know, what we're trying to do through World Council for Health and what we're doing very successfully is in our, our health and science committees, bringing together homeopaths and chiropractors with allopathic doctors mm -hmm. and actually learning, uh, certainly uh, learning about these other modalities that have been sort of kept hidden or disparaged for so long and so it's wonderful to see and in our in our protocols and things that we highlight on the on the website we include um a reference to to homeopathic and natural mm -hmm. remedies and it's uh, it's really quite um it, it's been very illuminating for me because obviously i had you know a very allopathic approach and and uh, knew very little about um, other modalities, and uh, and it's quite wonderful to see it all coming together, and also seeing the allopathic doctors embracing this these new new avenues of of healing, and um, you know we've had a number of conferences as well where we've been able to discuss an integrative approach to healing and it's definitely the way forward and and it's great also to see especially doctors who are having to step away from their in the UK we've got the NHS the national health system which is very sort of it's 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 the biggest employer of the country you know so doctors are very afraid to step away but it's great to see many of them are now realizing actually they don't need to feel trapped 
because they are they can do a course in naturopathy and actually there's many many options they can offer people in healing mm-hmm. probably a lot safe well definitely a lot safer yes. and uh, and likely more effective than the ones that they've, they've had to offer here in the united states we have our friends at trinity school of natural health and we've seen evidence of a lot of medical allopathic physicians doctors nurses coming through these holistic and integrative body mind spirit programs and this is a a nice uh, let's say effect. You know, when we talk about side effects that are usually bad, a positive effect of what we've gone through is that there are a lot of people that have come together like never before in my lifetime in the spirit of cooperation and the spirit of healing. And like, well, why did I sign up to be a doctor? Oh yeah. It was actually to help people not to be, you know, exalted and laid on a, you know, on a pedestal to be worshiped. And, and so the cooperation that's coming, I see as a positive outcropping of a very negative experience, we could say, uh, disastrous in many ways. Many, I will argue, millions of people died that didn't need to and are still dying that don't need to based on an intervention that was it without scientific merit or validation, especially second hour. We're going to talk more about uh, that with John O'Looney. Since the advent of the injections, they call vaccines, the mRNA, particularly the synthetic you know, mRNA uh, injections, uh, that's when the real, uh, what we call, sudden suddenly died or died suddenly epidemic happened after the initial covid ex, you know explosion happened apparently primarily in old people with multiple comorbidities in hospital settings that were given treatments that would have likely killed them even if they were healthy in fact so the, there's a, an extraordinary maturation process that i think is taking place among the western scientists and doctors for those who are willing to go there Unlike the man we just featured, I don't even like to mention his name. I just don't, I just was disgusted by his behavior, but you're right. It's endemic to the institutions there. They're protecting their paymasters. But what you're doing is so extraordinary. And yes, we have linked up in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com, the website worldcouncilforhealth.org, which is what Dr. Tesla already just mentioned as well, World Council for Health. And again, another great outcropping of cooperation, uh, a willingness to come together and share information not in the spirit of antagonism, but in the spirit of cooperation. And uh, I, again, I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm cur- encouraged by what you're doing and what many others are doing. So what more can people tap into? And when we say World Council for Health, can people in the U.S. tap into what you're doing and, and participate? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a number of uh, U.S. organizations and uh, freedom groups who are part of the organization. We're a grassroots um initiative really you know and um we we are drawing we and and our messengers in, in essence um aimed at empowering health freedom and sovereignty so we we have uh, 170 groups around the world now it grows daily we get groups joining us daily um 45 countries and um, we really are aiming at empowering people to take responsibility for their health it's, um, you know, you're talking about doctors and scientists waking up and realizing that, you know, there's other ways, uh, holistic health and integrative health. But in actual fact, we all need to take that uh, on board and realize that this is a great opportunity for change. We cannot blame others for our situation. Uh, in essence, we've made the choices we've made. And uh, and we, we've got to this point, and it's almost like the pendulum uh, is going to swing back now, and um, and it, well, it's on the on the way back. I think we're sort of at that end where they, where we've we've reached a point where we can't abuse our bodies any further collectively. We can't, um, you know, we can't be more materialistic, less spiritual, uh, and uh, and so the pendulum's swinging back, and we're seeing this wonderful blossoming of so many 
out of you know so many uh, in, in new initiatives um, uh, and and people really um, working together to create a better way, you know, as opposed to um, you know this sort of dystopian ideal we didn't even know we were living in. <laughs> yeah, well, many people woke up to it, as I said in in this time. You know, I've been speaking out in America for a long time, 23 years on radio and broadcast media now and through podcasting as well, about the sorry state of freedom when it comes to healthcare, real healthcare and real healing. We have a system of disease creation and disease management. And that's true of Health Canada. That's true of the NHS in England. Uh, you have it more institutionalized through socialism than we have in the United States. But I've argued that the greatest danger or the most dangerous thing you can have in the United States is really good medical insurance. And that's, you know, a thought that had never crossed many people's minds, except that when they realize how dangerous allopathic medicine has become outside of emergency trauma interventions, where it is genuinely amazingly life-saving, the idea that they could test you for things that you don't have and conclude that you have them and then give you drugs for something that you don't have, then you end up with illnesses that you didn't start with. Now you have to eventually go see a naturopath and a homeopath to undo not only the original issue you were complaining about, but the 10, 15, 20 or more other things that were created by poisoning the body back to health, which is an absurdity. And so that's why I see the emergence of something like the World Council for Health and various different organizations I have participated and supported, and I will definitely support your organization or the one you're working with now too because it's an, it's a it's a sea change yet many people tests will say but the nhs it's just too powerful we can't fight them we can't beat them and i and i don't think it's about fighting them and beating them i think it's about withdrawing from them and letting them crumble of their own weight because they're not going to succeed where you will yeah well it's a very disease centric approach to health so one has to actually you know, start saying, well, I'm not going to wait until, you know, I'm so, unhe I'm so unhealthy that I have to go on drugs and then, you know, my quality of life, wait until my quality of life is really bad and then I, you know, go and see a doctor. One has to actually, um, you know, t on, a, on a daily basis think about improving health and thinking about, you know, how, how you can live uh, in, in the absolute best um, state of health possible. Uh, it's also, um, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but we have uh, seven principles of the better way, which is a which is a, a charter that was char drawn up after the Better Way conference in May, um, and uh, and it's really a very simple um, guide to to just you know how to start living very actively and engaged uh, and taking responsibility, and it includes. Um, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just I'll just uh, say, oh well, you've got it up. That's yeah, great. We'll get on we screen act too, honor. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, we act in honor and do no harm. And I think you know we've sort of said, oh well, doctors need to do no harm. But in actual fact, we're the ones who do the majority harm to ourselves in, in, mm -hmm. and, until we eventually get to see a doctor and then uh, demand some harm. pills. So <laughs> yes, uh, or perhaps not your audience, but you know that seems to be the way. So we all need to act in honor and do no harm, mm -hmm. and then we're basically 90% of the way there. And we're free beings with free will. So we take responsibility for and control of our health and our choices and our, and, and our lives. Mm -hmm. um, we need to recognize and remember we are part of nature and accept that, you know, the planet needs to do well and, and so do, and, and we do well when the planet is well. Spirituality is integral to our well-being. Um, but people just seem to have forgotten that uh, we need uh, purpose and, and meaning. We need a life full of meaning. And, and many people... Um, 
will say, oh, well, I don't believe in anything. And, you know, but in actual fact, uh, just by virtue of the fact that everybody wants and seeks love, you know, is a, is a spiritual quest. So we are very spiritual and we need to um, we need to live that. Um, we thrive together. So this divide and rule is really how we are, um, how, how we are controlled. Um, and uh, we need to, once we, we reconnect with each other, we, we will thrive. Um, valuing different perspectives is really important. And, and again, you know, um, we, we've been uh, really divided. I know in your country, um, you've very divided along political lines, probably especially today. Um, and, uh, but we, we divide in all sorts of ways by pitting one perspective against another and, and, and believing somehow they're irreconcilable. Well, this is how we, we learn. You know, we actually refine our knowledge and wisdom through having great conversations and respectful discussion, and we need to get back to doing that. Um, it's virtually been non-existent during COVID. Um, and then lastly, we use technology with discernment. So we need technology. Technology is great but it needs to work for us and the planet and not um, against us. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, surveillance and all of that sort of thing. So, so those are just a simple guide on, on how to, um, to refocus and use COVID as an opportunity to, to think about, um, you know, how we can create a better world and uh, how we can envisage it and believe it can happen. Yeah. I, I don't think, if we call them bad guys, and I don't mean to play in the Hegelian dialectic, but I define bad guys as people who don't want us to have the freedom to choose our path in life, you know, the autonomy, that sovereignty. And it, that to me is a, a very clear line of delineation. It's not that um, someone whom, with whom I disagree politically on certain things is a bad guy. That's not my perspective on it. Uh, like one of your, your points in that, uh, you know, and trying to work together. And I see this uh, positively occurring. And the question is, what in the United Kingdom are you doing on the ground? I, of course, we have this ability now, despite a lot of censorship, I've been you know, censored and banned on YouTube and Spotify and other things, yet we do have many other outlets popping up every time they try to you know, shut you down, the 10 other places pop up, we're like the Hydra for good things. And uh, if we um, also think about what some of those points are, is how do we communicate to one another you know, human to human in, in, in the so-called real world outside of the electronic ability to communicate. Uh, what's happening on the ground in England that you're witnessing or participating in in addition to this? Yes, well, we're doing a lot of, a lot of our work is international uh, and we have, uh, we're developing resources that people can use and share to start the conversations, to help their neighbours. I think uh, we might, you know, there's this, there's a sense that the world thinks that COVID is over. Well, COVID's not over. COVID, their COVID rates are higher than ever, and um, you know, and, they, and uh, people, particularly vaccinated people, are susceptible. And so we're seeing uh, there's a, there's a lot of um, sickness, and uh, and people aren't putting two and two together. So what we're doing is we have uh, we've developed a number of resources. We've got leaflets which we encourage people to download from the website and share. We've got this one here, which I'm sure uh, you'd be able to pull up. Um, this one's been very successful. It's been going since about uh, December last year. It's a little shopping list on how to treat COVID with over-the-counter medications. I know uh, homeopaths might not be great fans of some of the items on there, such as antihistamines, but they do help with uh, with some symptoms. And uh, for those people who don't have access to homeopathy, mm -hmm. uh, but they can get some things over-the-counter at the supermarket. Um, sure. If, if and, we're fundamentally but, for freedom, we don't argue other than to say, hey, let me give you some education to give you options other than them. 
But I don't think that is a sticking point or stopping point to give people information for self-care, right? I think we can yes. get beyond some of those differences, but I agree. I mean, you know, we could be nitpicking everything. That's not the yes, point. Yeah. 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 Generally it's sort of vitamin C, vitamin D, um, zinc, um, antihistamines, ivermectin, uh, and, um, and N-acetylcysteine. I mean, there are substitutes for ivermectin. There are substitutes for, for various things, uh, multivitamins, obviously, but, um, but it's really just, uh, you know, it's, as I say, it's useful for everybody and it, it's mm-hmm. not polarizing like, um, so many things are, so it's, are yes. polarizing. This really brings people together and gives them something to talk about. There's also, um, this one, which is, you know, uh, if you're worried about, um, about the COVID vaccine or spike protein, don't worry. There are things you can do, and there are many, many options that have are being put forward by our committees, by uh, the the grassroots teams that we have, um, bringing information in, natural remedies, and so on. And we have a detox guide on our um, website, and we also link to other what uh, our affiliate groups who have um, who have uh, uh, protocols and guidance on their websites. And we've got this one, which is a great conversation starter. You know, if you're feeling unwell since your COVID-19 vaccine, you're not alone. And uh, it lists some of the symptoms. So mm-hmm. uh, I think many people know myocarditis and that is oh, the heart. heart I've seen uh, documentaries popping up even out of the UK. Uh, I think one called Safe and Effective. Uh, that was yes. a very high quality presentation. Excellent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it didn't try to divide. It just shared, you know, the stories and, and didn't even yet go into the options for remedying the problem. But at the same time, getting people to see there is a problem is still <laughs> problematic for some. Uh, have you connected with my friends at the Alliance for Natural Health UK and Europe, uh, Dr. Robert Burkirk, Melanie Aldridge? Absolutely. Robert was on our, um, our health and science committee for some time. Unfortunately, he has uh, left now, but he certainly was and was a great contributor. So um, they, their work is, is really very good. We have, um, um, sorry, I'm just thinking we had, um, I'm just thinking about what else has been going on. Our politicians are um, slowly waking up as well. Um, We had an all-party parliamentary group a couple of weeks ago, which um, wasn't terribly well attended, but it is the start uh, um, of, uh, you know, of uh, raising awareness about uh, vaccine injury and um there were you know there were members from our um uk cv family which is a vaccine injury support group and also the vaccine injured and bereaved who were able to speak briefly there not nearly enough um the uh, politicians didn't stick around too long but um there is another date set in december for follow-up so there is this uh, awareness our sense is that most people know there's something not quite right with these injections now and they're not going to take any more. And there's really very, um, yeah. very low, um, uh, I, I would say, I wouldn't even say Compliance it's up with the, the so-called mandates or demands or even strong suggestions, if you will, to be polite. There's, there's very strong suggestions. I mean, it's really, it's just crazy to see. Um, these uh, once revered institutions like the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists saying, you know, these are, these injections are safe and effective in, and, in pregnancy and, and pregnant women should come for their boosters. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's really um, totally ridiculous if it wasn't outright yeah. dangerous. And um, you think it was parody, but, you, you know, this delegitimizes their claims to 
uh, let's say, uh, scientific integrity at the very Absolutely. least. Because any of us have found things that show it has not been tested as safe or even tested thoroughly in terms of the preliminary and other ongoing studies, which many of these shots are still in clinical trials technically, and that everybody getting them are part of that grand experiment. By the way, for those of you who want to follow on with Dr. Tess Laurie, we have links to her, her substack, uh, Dr. Tess Laurie, L-A-W-R-I-E dot substack.com. It's called Tess Talks. Uh, I think there's a, a piece here you interviewed with uh, Laura Aboli, who we ha- we've had on this show. She's terrific. Thanks. You've got a lot of uh, amazing, um, let's say, yeah, Superdon's got it up on screen right now. Uh, one of the the topics is beautiful, cultivating optimism in times of adversity. Is that something that happens over tea in Britain? Tell me, how does this work? <laughs> cultivating optimism. No, you know, I've just, uh, I've really been enjoying uh, having this opportunity to write on a Substack because previously, you know, I used to write scientific papers and I realized nobody actually read them really. I mean, they were cited <laughs> a few times, yeah. but I, you know, it, it, uh, it didn't feel like I was making any difference. And uh, with a Substack, I get to sort of have a conversation and speak about what's on my mind. And, uh, and I'm enjoying it a lot. I get really great comments in the chat. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it, I'm enjoying it a lot more than the science writing anyway. You're, you're, it's wonderful what you're doing. In fact, um, our buddy Kevin says you have such a lovely voice. He wants his alarm clock to wake him up every morning with your voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> It was, I never, I've never been much of a public speaker. And so, um, you know, it's kind of new to me to even be, be hearing myself in this uh, sure. capacity. I, I think the vibration of our voice, which we may not like, you know, many of us would listen and go, oh, I don't know why, why people think that's a good voice, whatever. But I think it's sincerity and authenticity in the vibration of your voice. That's what I th- think people pick up on. And we so need that authenticity. Uh, and it's been so lost. So when we find it, it's like, my gosh, I want to hear more of that. It's soothing. It's calming. It's all of the things that a drug is not in reality that we can do by connecting with one another. Um, there's another article here that you have uh, on your Substack. It says, trust the mothers. Now, this is the message of Andrew Wakefield, the doctor, physician who they love to pronounce. He was struck off the register. Oh, man, what a horrible man for simply observing Uh, certain effects, ill effects, post-MMR vaccine, and and that included autism, but specific to his field of gastroenterology of the pediatric community. So there was a novel form of iatrogenic uh, inflammation of some kind that he didn't understand fully and said, hey, we need to look into this more. So his crime wasn't saying that the vaccine itself or they caused autism, but they couldn't even have people questioning that there might be a link, you know, to causality somewhere down the line, even indirectly. So they attacked the messenger to dissuade from looking into the message. And I see now the physician community, those who have, you know, kind of woken up into some level of integrity are now questioning not just the mRNA technology, but if we were lied to about it and are being lied to about it, what about the entirety of the vaccine schedule prior to that? Could there have been also some corruption of science? Yes, I think, you know, certainly I'm one of those doctors who's now questioning everything we've been taught about vaccines. And, uh, you know, I did give my kids all, I have three children who are all the same, similar ages to yours now, Robert. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've, um, I, I regret now when I think what might have been in those injections, particularly um, 
the you know Gardasil, um, mm-hmm. the the um, the human papillomavirus um, vaccine, um, because um, one does think, well, if they've had free range to just do whatever they like and put whatever they like into these COVID injections, what um, have they been doing up until now? Because there seems to be this total disregard for for um, for people for the people yeah. who who will be receiving them. Do they have a similar no fault scenario like we do in the states, where the the manufacturers bear no responsibility should they injure or kill with, through these vaccines? This does seem to be the case. I I can't say for sure what happened before, but certainly with the COVID um, injections. Um, they they seem to be completely free. What what the um, vaccine injured and bereaved have been offered is one hundred and twenty thousand pounds in compensation, which is absolutely nothing. Um, you know that's from the that's from the government. Sure, and that's so the, the manufacturer bear again no liability. What what concern have they to make a product that is safe and effective? They can throw it out there and make billions, and that's understating it now. And nobody can sue them. Yes. Uh, you know, what kind? What kind of insane world are we living in, where governments have absolved? You know, in in the UK, of course, you have a monarchy, although you know, some somewhat of a secular government. Besides that, but you know, in the United States, we kind of we we rebelled against the monarchy, so we wouldn't have a government that could declare uh, anybody at once uh, completely uh, without liability. You know, the king says, "No, no harm shall come to you. No harm shall come." And we have an oligarchy that does that with the, the industry called the you know the pharmaceutical industry, specific to the vaccines. And anytime humans are convinced that there is no liability or consequence to their actions, they are willing to participate in horrible and evil deeds. These are psychological experiments that have been conducted to know that formerly good people become not so good people when they are absolved of all liability for their actions. Yes, well, the MHRA, our um, regulatory authority, has has uh, has self-confessed to being an enabler of the pharmaceutical industry and not a watchdog any longer. That this, these are the words spoken by Dr. June Rain, of uh, who's the head of head of our medicines regulatory agency. So they seem to proudly be holding this, um, you know, this up as some sort of. And and the other thing that's that's quite um, amusing, if it wasn't horrifying was hearing the uh, politicians in in a parliamentary debate on vaccine damage sort of proudly saying, well, the UK was the first to approve and develop, uh, you know, the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. And you think, well, actually, that is not really something to be proud about at this stage, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, enabling and facilitating the rapid development of a very dangerous product. Yeah. Do you know this? Um, this is on the World Council for Health website. Superdon just alerted me, and I think we have it linked up. Uh, Captain Alan Dana, the implications of COVID nineteen injections on air travel. Have you interacted with this air captain? Yeah, this, we actually it was last night. We had this amazing. Um, we have these general assembly meetings every Monday. They're live to view. Anyone can tune into our newsroom uh, on the website. We also live stream to. Uh, YouTube and Getter and um, Facebook and and others. Uh, I think it's on the website. But um, yeah, we we had Captain Alan Dana speaking at the meeting, and we also had at the end of this um, this video there was uh, a cabin crew member. She didn't want to be named. Um, we knew her as Sally. Sorry, Sarah Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she um, she'd been you know so she she shared her experience. So it was this amazing thing. We had this captain who's got twenty three thousand 
hours of flying experience, 35 years, uh, who was, um, he was uh, uh, fired for refusing to take the COVID injection. He's a really fit guy, you know, and he also knows uh, part of the uh, aviation safety rules so that you can't fly if you've had a new product, a new drug, or newly, even a newly uh, approved drug if it's been approved within 12 months, you have to wait 12 months. So it just didn't make sense to him to take an injection that hasn't actually been fully approved uh, and knowing that that would, you know, damage his uh, ability to fly. Although he was told they wouldn't, obviously it wouldn't affect his ability to fly because they decided they'd waive that that problem. Uh, so uh, so it was fascinating hearing him talk about the, the flights uh, that have been um, diverted, the number of um uh, pilots that have been incapacitated in the last few months um, that haven't made it to mainstream media all over the world, all these different airlines. And um, and he it was just really interesting to hear that, you know, he considered flying to be not very safe. And we hear about these incidents that have happened in the cockpit on these yeah. flights from both him and Sarah, the cabin crew member who also had years and years of experience. You know, mm -hmm. you just, um, it was a really eye-opening and very, very we, interesting. We experience yeah. things here in the United States, you know, uh, incidents within the airlines, whether it be pilots becoming ill or even dying in flight, uh, flight crew. Initially, there was a almost a Nazi-like uh, obsession with keeping people masked. And then toward the end, it got ridiculous. And even I saw the the, the cabin crew and and the pilots they were just over it at a certain point too. So that, you know, they're part of this experience, but I'm glad that there's, you know, there are those folks speaking out now. Hopefully we can make the corrections before it's too late. Too many of them are harmed or die. Yeah, um, it's really that wonderful that, that they are speaking out and, um, and one can just hope that more, more and more will come forward and speak out because, you know, mm -hmm. it's incredibly brave. You speak out and you, you, you risk losing your job or, um, you know, many people are threatened. Um, Sarah, the the cabin crew woman, she said uh, she said she was so stressed she was actually had had to take time off because it was so stressful being on a plane knowing that both pilots were vaccinated and something might happen. You know, hmm. um, Dr. Tesslori, what are you doing now in addition to what we've discussed? You know, you have as a you know, scientist, researcher, doctor. What is it that you're doing in terms of what you used to do, can you do any of that as well? Or is it completely converted because of your speaking out that you no longer can work in the areas that you worked before? It's not that I, it's not necessarily that I can't work in those areas. I've just, this job of uh, messaging is so huge, really just trying to reach out to as many people as possible. Um, and also, um, you know, I'm working with a big team now uh, who are, we're translate, you know, we've got translators, we've got volunteer coordinators. This is, it's, it's a big, it's a big task um, because we're, we're up against quite a lot and things are moving very quickly. So I mentioned earlier, COVID's not over. We're expecting, you know, winter in the Northern Hemisphere uh, is coming very fast. We're expecting a lot of illness uh, and um, suffering. Um, plus, you know, there's banking crises. There's uh, war threatened, war oh, being yeah. threatened. There's all sorts of things. So we're actually we're putting together something. We've got a, another website called Source, 
It's source.worldcouncilforhealth.org. The website at the moment is in its testing phase, but it basically is about how to thrive in times of adversity. Mm -hmm. And it has um, information on on food. Um, uh, it has information, on, you know, on, basically on sustenance, on the medical supplies you need, how to prepare prep bags, that sort of thing, um, water, energy, um, and uh, really just getting people to to also think about sovereignty um you know um what what your rights are um and uh, and so and we we're um we we're developing this network of source ambassadors we're calling them i mean maybe the the term will change um but at the moment it's a source ambassador is someone in your community who has a pack of all of these things you know from building a chicken coop to um, to how to grow vegetables, to, you know. All right. Yeah, did you have a garden this year? Do I have a garden? Yes, we have. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have time to grow anything, but my partner does certainly okay. and has kept us on the greens and, and salads. Good. <laughs> Very encouraging. And uh, Dr. Tess Laurie, I'm so, so encouraged by connecting with you and hearing beyond what I knew initially as to what you're doing in the group, the World Council for Health, in addition uh, to so many that are indeed looking through the spirit of cooperation to transform, not because, uh, let's say, a government edict came down that we must transform, but quite the opposite, despite what they're doing at the governmental level and non-governmental level, that the people are coming together saying, you know what, the, what you're doing over there doesn't work for us. We're going a different way. And that's what I'm talking about, decentralization. That was my message as I opened today's show about the elections, no matter what happens recognize that you have more power than they do. The question is, will you give them your power to do the things they've done to you and others that you love and care about over the last few years? Will you continue to do that? Will you continue to comply? Or will you set course, a new course, one that is empowering to you and your family and your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors and your community that doesn't rely on approvals or cooperate with, what will we say, mandates and prohibitions that clearly work in opposite to your intended goal to, to, to get well and stay well and to help others do the same. I, I, well, I have to just, uh, if I get another chance to just say, I totally agree with what you say. We were so aligned in in, uh, in messaging, what your messaging and World Council for Health messaging, and it is really about taking back your power. Um, you know, we've we've at a point where we we almost gave it all away, but luckily we woken up um, and we can take it back. And yeah. uh, it's it's you know it's it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Uh, you just have to step away from fear and stop, um, you know, giving your attention to to mm -hmm. um, those that uh, seek to control you and us. Yes. Well, Dr. Laurie, anything I can do to help, uh, you just let me know. We have a voice here in, uh, in media and have for a long time. And I uh, would love to see all the success in the world for the World Council, as well as for you personally. And if you ever have a, a message you want to get out, you're welcome here anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's T Dr. Tess Laurie all the way from England. It's late there. And she was having a cup of tea before we started. It was so, I felt so British today doing that. In fact, we're going to do some more. I guess thematically, the, the UK is in today. Uh, we have uh, John Oluni scheduled to join us in hour two. And we'll discuss further some of the findings that not so pleasant, but must be discussed so that we can chart a course like Dr. Tess Laurie is talking about. One more positive and empowering rather than one that is uh, induced by fear. And what happens in fear, of course, is not conducive to good health. And that includes our Gen Z friends, family, relatives, sons, and daughters. 
uh, we want to reach them as well. Uh, real quick, Super D, I think there was a uh, a comment of the day. I thought we could squeeze in here at the top of the hour before we take the, take our break. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Comment of the day. Mm-hmm, I'm, t- I'm throwing this out to Super Don because I know he's ready to break for the top of the hour. <laughs> and I'm just going in. I want to knock this one out. Let's see. Where's the comment of the day? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, I see it, Super Don. I see the comment of the day. Well, good for you. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't you ready for the comment. I, I know you weren't. That's why I was kind of just kind of letting her loose in the meantime. But we won't even play the theme. I don't care about that at the moment. I just want to read this. If you can put it up on screen in a moment. Uh, this is from Beth. There, yeah. And this was in response to yesterday during, you know, one of the articles that we covered was about, the, you know, the Muhammad Ali Center in Kentucky and giving a Lifetime Achievement Award. So uh, she says, hi, Robert and Super Don. First, love listening to your daily show. Second, listening to your awesome show today, just now, and that was yesterday, and you talked about the Muhammad Ali Center awarding Anthony Fauci their Lifetime Achievement Award. FYI, see web link below about who is overseeing this Muhammad Ali Center. Both their executive committee and members at large have people that work for-profit health insurance, Humana Incorporation, a hospital, universities, CBS Sports, et cetera. And, you know, that she goes to the link to the board of directors. So, Beth, you're right. And during the show, I texted Layla Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter. Uh, she's the world champion boxer, undefeated. She's a friend. She's amazing. And uh, she said, you know, if, if you want to, you can certainly tell everybody that she, Ma- Layla Ali, is not supportive of what they have done at the center. She doesn't participate in any way with it and doesn't agree with uh, that award for Anthony Fauci. But she also acknowledged that, yes, there are other entities that control that that are not, you know, aligned with what we are doing here, or what she is all about. Uh, so I don't want to let that tarnish the legacy of Muhammad Ali. And that's why I wanted to let that let folks know. And I thank you, Beth, for also letting us know about that as well. So if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, text my initials RSB to 22828. That's the number 22828 on your phone. If you're in the U.S., probably in Canada, too. There it is up on screen. Send my initials RSB to that. You will get a response. That will ask you for your email. Just enter your email and you'll be getting the newsletter, Daily Show newsletter, and you'll be up to date on all the upcoming events, uh, special offers that are available to you for being part of the Robert Scott Bell Show family, including the RSB 15 discount code with Nutritional Frontiers, special things that happen with uh, the Trinity Health Freedom Expo in February of 2023, the virtual expo will be launching, and all of the things I didn't get to see, I'll be able to see because of the virtual expo. So that's a number a number of things happening real quick before we take this top of the hour education break. The Red Pill Expo, thanks to G. Edward Griffin, is happening the 12th and 13th of November. That's this weekend, Saturday and Sunday at the Salt Palace Convention Center, Salt Lake City, Utah. I'd love to see you all there. Uh, we, as you can see, the cartoon uh, of the many people that are coming. David Martin is amazing. You want to see that? Sherry uh, Peel Jackson, who we had on the show this, this week. Alex Newman as well. Uh, Sheriff Richard Mack. And so many more are going to be there. You'll want to be there with us. Dr. Carrie Made, who we'll have on the show soon as well, uh, will be there. And if you can't come live to that thing, you can uh, get the live stream as well and use the discount code RSB to get 10% off your tickets. So I hope to see you there. In the meantime, John O'Looney, also from England, joining us to share the stories of what we suspected from the get-go, that the initial COVID wasn't the real problem. The problem apparently is what they did in response to it, the jabs and what's in them and what they're doing. This man is in a, you know, a funeral director and he's talked on a lot of media outlets about this. I want to hear from him on the Robert Scott Bell show next because the power to heal is yours. 
Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, two hours a day, six days a week, and then some. The Robert Chad Bell Show is on, and we are all over the broadcast world. Shout out to our friends on UK Health Radio because it's been a kind of a British special today, uh, having uh, Tess Lowry on in the first hour, and this hour, John O'Looney is going to join us from England. I love the fact that we can do that. It's later at night there, but uh, they're staying up late for us, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, we're going to learn some things that uh, are quite shocking, maybe even disgusting. Uh, about the uh, the death rate that has exploded, not because of COVID, but because of the reaction to it by our medical authorities, our pharmaceutical overlords. Uh, yeah, I know it's controversial for some, not for you here, and I'm glad that uh, John's going to be joining us shortly. But first up, uh, out of the Brownstone Institute, an important article. They want us to hate each other. They want us to hate each other. Now, this goes to the heart of a Hegelian dialectic, a play, uh, you know, the philosopher Hegel came out and said, hey, you, you know what? Uh, we can um, basically control the future, the present and future of the world by pitting people against each other and synthesizing, you know, the opposition into our own, you know, desire. Right. So you have thesis, antithesis and synthesis. That's the fancy way of saying it. Others say problem, reaction, solution. Now, my question to you is. How did you learn to hate somebody? When did this occur in your life? Do you remember the first person you actually loathed, you hated with all your heart, your passion? I mean, whatever it is, kind of uh, ironic to say, I hate you with all my heart. Wait, wait, that just doesn't sound right. <laughs> but the idea that you could hate somebody. Now, we could look at an Anthony Fauci and go, man, yeah, I do have a lot of disgust and maybe even hatred in my heart for a guy that's been responsible for millions of deaths around the world, not just with COVID, but since the time of AIDS and the promotion of AZT or AZT. And, and yet that's a distant kind of thing because I don't know the guy personally. You, you just know him as a celebrity and uh, you know, a so-called doctor, scientist, whatever that's been elevated and exalted and worshipped by certain folks on the planet. Yet, we're talking now about the hatred that I think is learned, learned primarily. We are manipulated into hating people. You know, if we're talking about Election Day in the United States, you have the so-called conservative right, the so-called liberal left, and there's nobody that actually fits fully into any of those definitions if you start querying them about, hey, where are you at on this, where are you at? You find a, a, a you know, myriad of, of ideas that don't necessarily fit into an easy thing that they'd like us to believe. We all fit into that easy box. You're a leftist, you're this, you're that. And yes, we have to use the language to describe certain things that may even disgust us here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, you know, like this idea of globalism and collectivism. But we have, I think, very good reason to not want that in our lives because our perspective is such, and I think many of you can communicate this, that, for instance, I believe in our divinity, in your divinity, that you are a creation of God, you know, that we are created of God. Now, that may be offensive to some. Others will say, well, you didn't say it the way I want you to say it. Or others can say, you know, I'll take that within the spirit of what you mean, that you are unique and special as an individual. You are created and, and you know, not to be denigrated because of who you are, or what you believe per se, as long as you don't violate the rights of others in the process of being who you are. It's kind of a libertarian philosophy. You know, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Don't break their stuff. You know, don't kill them, certainly. And, and you know, these are the, you know, golden rule scenarios. Yet we are taught to hate people who are not really violating our rights simply because they have different views. 
different viewpoints. And I'm just going to rush through this Brownstone article of four points that the author of this article uh, brings out because I think they're good moving forward. The author of this article is Jim Kofalt uh, from Georgetown University and Syracuse University. And he lists four things to say, hey, can we break this cycle of the hatred that is not born from within, but coerced or deceived from without? Those are trying to control us through this dialectic. And so here he goes. He suggests four guidelines. So let's go through them real quickly. One, be aware of the polarization dynamic. He says, simply by understanding and acknowledging that powerful people want us to hate each other, we can begin to break down our habitual ways of thinking, speaking, and interacting with people with whom we disagree. So you have that gut reaction. You, uh, we talk about programmed words that cause you to react. Like if, if we were to talk about oil in a way that doesn't you know, automatically lead to the destruction of the planet and the death of all people, some people on the left will go, oh my gosh, you're horrible. You want us to die. And so these are, these are programmed reactions to try and get beyond that and to be able to talk with one another. Number two on this is stop the name calling. Like, darn, you want to take away all our fun? We can't call names? <laughs> but the question is, do you want to fight or do you actually want to convert people to your point of view or at least attempt to engage them intellectually? So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that caused, calls for a bit of maturity and I'm not always that mature. I'll admit it. <laughs> I don't claim perfection, but we try to do better. Three, this one's a big one. Look for the humanity in other people. This is where I urge people to always go, to find a way to connect with them eyeball to eyeball. Look into each other's eyes. As you stand face to face, as he says in this article, with your so-called adversary, ask yourself what's really going on behind those eyes. What are they afraid of? What motivates them? Is there anything about this person that connects you as human beings? Will they listen to you? Well, perhaps, but you start by listening to them. Ask them questions. If they're willing to engage, if you sincerely listen, it changes the dynamic and you're no longer the enemy that they were told as well, just as you were told. Oh, you don't want to deal with them. That's why they try to keep us apart. Oh, you can't even, we can't even meet with you and talk to you because that would give credence to your horrible thing. You know, see, see how they play us? Why not ask them questions about why they believe what they believe? And you might find common ground. And four, finally, be willing to risk failure. Some people are so, simply not open to the idea of seeking common ground yet. Not long ago, the author, Jim Kovalt, says he tried to engage someone in conversation while standing outside the polls on Election Day. Ooh, that's an interesting thing on Election Day. I pointed out that in today's America, we seem to be operating from two entirely different set of facts. I expressed a willingness to hear what he had to say and invited him to dialogue. His response to ask where I got my news and information, I told him, and I added that I always try to gather facts from multiple sources and do the best to discern the truth. His answer was, well, then you need to try harder. And he walked away. Well, you're not going to reach everybody the first try, but I would urge you to keep trying. And remember, we have found this to be true as well through the social media and, and, and media networks. If you are, uh, let's say, a fan of even, let's say, Facebook or Twitter, there are algorithms and artificial intelligence that reads what you want to read and delivers it to you so that a polarizing event that occurs can be seen in two diametrically opposed ways so that one person thinks, for instance, the cops are 100% guilty in what happened. The other crowd that gets a different algorithm thinks it's entirely the fault of the individual who is doing the wrong thing. And then you look at each other and you go, how do you even believe the opposite of what I believe? Because they've never been exposed and they've never had the dialogue and they don't realize they're being played and manipulated. And I realize that's a bruise to the ego when we all realize we're capable of being manipulated. Now, going beyond that, 
This article at Rare Foundation lists this as a bombshell, Super Don's favorite word in a, in a headline. Bombshell, British funeral director John O'Looney says deaths skyrocketed 300% after the COVID jabs came out. He says, I've never seen a death rate like this in 15 years. John O'Looney is his name, director of the Milton Keynes Family Funeral Services, and a whole lot more is speaking out. And he's speaking out here now on the Robert Scott Bell Show live. Is it England time? Is it late night? How, how are you doing there, John? Hi, I'm well, thanks. It's 9.15 p.m. here in the UK. Thanks. Okay, thanks for hopefully having it's me past your bedtime. <laughs> no, not yet. I'm an undertaker, so I'm up um, at all hours. And uh, I've got a, a, a family pending. I'm waiting for a phone call for, so... Okay. They, yeah. They make movies about undertakers, you know, and things that happen there. Uh, and this is worthy of a movie, almost a science fiction movie. It's, um, yeah. It's certainly uh, a very dark time to be alive, isn't it? You know, let's be honest. I think um, it brings to mind for me, certainly ignorance really must be bliss. Yeah. To not be aware of, of what you're witnessing. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, hard 100%. enough to deal with death on a daily basis. I mean, uh, that's a whole backstory of how you got into that business. I don't know what was in the family, but to observe mm -hmm. what you have said, you haven't seen a death rate like this in 15 years. I have to first ask what happened 15 years ago that I'm, I'm not aware of. <laughs> so, so um, there's always been a regular death rate and, and patterns in that. And it's a seasonal business and mm -hmm. the winter's slightly dearer and you get winter flu and things like that. But what I've seen, um, so, so first of all, let me introduce myself. My name's John. Yeah. I'm a funeral director. I've been a funeral director 16 years now. And um, the first kind of 10 years were spent working for one of the major funeral providers, which is Co-op Funeral Care here in the UK. They've got around, I guess, in 45% market share probably. And then I left after 10 years um, because I felt it was a bit of a production line service. And the bank had collapsed and they bought the money million. So I set up on my own really to, with the, the idea of treating people how I wanted to be treated, you know. Um, I, um, it's quite an easy job. And sometimes, you know, if you care about people, you do get, um, you know, you, you can't help but feel for these people, um, especially when you've had lost your own, your, you, you know, yourself. So in 2019 in November, I'd been running the shop for four years. Uh, uh, working on my own, doing very well, actually, as well. And um, I had a family come to me who'd lost a loved one over in the neighbouring borough of Northampton. They complained that the hospital wouldn't allow them to see their loved one um, in the chapel of rest that's attached to the mortuary there. So I kind of said, look, don't worry, I'll go over there promptly, pick them up, bring them back to the funeral home. You can see them at my place. So I did that. And while I was there, um, I obviously, I know the staff there. I kind of said, you know, why won't you let these people... Um, see their family member and they opened the viewing room door and there was a great big inflatable um, pandemic tent in there. And I kind of said, well, what's that for? And they said, uh, they didn't mention the name COVID, but they said, we've been told something horrible is coming. And, and lo and behold, four or five weeks later, um, in early 2020, we started seeing reports on the TV uh, and um, shown footage of people in China falling over, et cetera, et cetera. So this, what you're describing is before we saw the, the visuals coming out of China, months before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was um, end of November, first week of December 2019. So it was, um, and, and many of the patents on the, on the vaccines um, <laughs> were June 9, 2019 for some mm -hmm. of them, you know, so it's, it was a well-orchestrated, well-planned event. 
Sure. Uh, well, John, in, 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 I, I didn't I didn't know that at the time, you know. Yeah. No, and John, we none of us did. I mean, some some were prescient and saw the the writing on the wall because they they often telegraph, as you point out, what they were what they were doing, uh, test pandemic uh, or preparedness things. But in the first months of this, in the 2020 year calendar year, uh, did you see as we were, we heard reports here in the United States of old people primarily uh, succumbing to something new or in hospital or uh, uh, you know old infirmary infirm uh, um, places uh, where we saw the most mortality? So was this in uh, you you asking about what date? Well, in the early uh, part of this in 2020, I believe. Uh, so no, there was no no increase in death rate at all throughout 2020. There was a brief blip in 2020 between March and April, exclusively in care homes. So yes. what happened there was um, murderous Madazalam Matt Hancock sent um, transferred loads of elderly people into care homes. Um, Similar and, to Andrew Cuomo in New York. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they did, and basically they euthanized these people with Madazalam mm-hmm. and called them COVID deaths. Um, well, and use them as examples of here. This is what's coming to everybody. Pay attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. And the procurement of midazolam went up between 300 and 1,000%. And much of that is purchased with public money. So there's a clear paper trail. Many people have put freedom of information requests in to get that data. And that data has been confirmed. And Is this all for yes? Yes, yeah. Many of these, because uh, we've got a mixed bag of care homes. Some of them are privately run. Some of them are council run you know where mm. people haven't got any money or any estate so so um yeah it's public money so they mm. have to publish where that money's gone and they procured um up to a thousand percent more midazolam at the exact time these people were dying tell everybody numbers. what that drug is used for so midazolam is a drug that's a sedative it's primarily used um to sedate people it's also one of the cocktail of drugs that's used in various states in the U.S. as uh, when they u- they execute people via lethal injection is one of the cocktail of drugs. Mm. And gone are the days where we tie dementia and Alzheimer's patients to the bed in their latter stages. They do this chemically and they do this with a drug called midazolam. Um, there's a certain amount of it purchased for the certain amount of care homes that there are. And there's a long historical record of the amount purchased. And that um, amount being purchased went up between 300 and a thousand percent at the exact time these people were passing away and they weren't even COVID patients many of them because I've spoken to the families you know these were people who'd had a stroke and were recovering and were transferred and died the same day um you know this these people are very aware that their their loved ones have been killed off and you know um the the clue really is is the pattern so the pattern was such where usually if I have 10 people that come into my care, eight of them would die in a hospital environment. Um, one would die in a residential address under the care of a district nurse, perhaps a cancer patient had gone home to die. And one would die in um, a care home, you know, from usually from Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, uh, and this Matt Hancock announced that, you know, COVID was going to attack the most vulnerable in care homes was going to be hit and he was moving people into care homes. And I remember at the time thinking, how can he know that the virus is going to target care homes, you know? Unless um, it was a script. Yeah, of course it was. Of course yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and lo and behold, the phone started ringing and there were no hospital removals. There were no residential home uh, removals. It was no residential dresses at all. It was all care homes. All it's the care homes were sending yeah, the patients, the bodies. Uh, I, I never slept for three weeks. I was out every night for three weeks. And then it just stopped straight away mm-hmm. as though somebody had 
the initial the wave, which frightened everybody. The drama, the yeah. play played out. That's yeah, the stage for the next levels. Exactly. But despite their best efforts, um, there still was no increase overall in 2020 no. in death rate. There was no pandemic death rate at all. Right. In fact, I, and I want to bring, I want, I want to reiterate that, Sam John. Hold on. Uh, if Super Don, if you don't mind, open up your microphone because this was the controversy in that calendar year, 2020. We kept going back over the numbers. And pretty much everywhere we saw the numbers of uh, uh, just, you know, all-cause mortality, general deaths in a pandemic year. Do you remember me arguing? In a pandemic year, you would have deaths over normal. It wasn't that they would be replacing all flu deaths with this, and it was the same amount. Super, do you remember right. that? I, I, I do remember that. that. Yeah, I do. And, and it was just weird. It was like, this is not a pandemic. This doesn't fit the definition. There's no deaths over normal. No. Yet, 2021 comes along. And the warp-speeded jabs came to be, not only in America, but in different places around the world. And then suddenly we saw deaths explode. Now, here we have John O'Looney who deals with people that are dead being sent to him, talking about the explosion initially and then nothing except for the whole thing like um, in America, pretty much. What, what we saw through 2020 was no increase in deaths, but a deliberate and concerned, mm. really concentrated act to relabel every regular death as a COVID death. Correct. So let me explain. I had a guy ringing me up um, uh, very early in 2020. He said his name was John, and he worked for a company called Pandemic Resilience, I think. There was something resilience. And he said, we're government-sponsored. We're going to be calling all of the funeral directors in this region I'm going to call you on a Monday. He said, I need to know several figures. And I was happy to give him them. You know, you feel like you're helping. Um, he wanted to know how many deceased I could hold, my capacity in my funeral home. He said, um, how many have you picked up that week? Where from and how many are COVID? And I was, because I knew that he would call on a Monday and he wanted this information, I was making extra effort when I was collecting people from various places to find out if they were COVID deaths, you know, and stuff like that. So, Oh, for example, and, he, and straight away, he would he started leading me. And by that, I mean, he would say to me, I'd say to him, I'd collected a guy from a care home. He'd um, had onset dementia. He died in the fetal position. There was no doctor present because we were protecting the NHS, we were told. And they're all sitting at home with headsets on on double the money, you know, not seeing any patients. Um, he, I spoke to his family. He had been in there five years. I spoke to staff. He was a dementia deaf, you know, and or Alzheimer's deaf. And he would insist this guy had to be COVID. And I would kind of question, I said, well, why? I said, I've just told you the history. And he said, well, we understand that one person had COVID. So we've been instructed um, from above. Everyone in that facility who dies is to be labeled. So that went on throughout 2020, everywhere. No, every, every, it's identical to what we saw here in the United States. Yeah, of course. So what? What, what that meant was that by the end of 2020, there was no increase in death rate, but there was a substantial amount of COVID labeled deaths amongst those deaths. Displacing you know? all other causes of yeah. death. Yeah, of course. So what that meant on top of the back of a load of media rubbish and lies was was that people were clamoring desperate to get this, this vaccines that were being announced. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, uh, I realized by that time, and I, I said to people, you watch the death rate will soar the moment they put needles in arms. And they all said that I was crazy, you know. Of course, oh, you, of course. You, you, but you saw the pattern emerge. You saw the play play yeah, out. Yeah, well, there was no no pandemic yeah. in 2020 except on the news. Yeah. Uh, you know. The programming so, of the people into fear. The yeah, fear 100%. would lead to the yeah, And it worked. It worked for me yeah, it worked for well, about well. 
Yeah. Well, for about 12 weeks, and I was washing and dressing all of these COVID patients throughout mm -hmm. 2020 when nobody else would, and I wasn't falling over, you know, uh, and I couldn't. Um, I just knew that it was it was BS, you know. Uh, and did, did, um, uh, John, as a funeral director, did they try to force you to get the jab? No, no, they didn't. They um, so they started off. They said 15 days to save the NHS and got mm -hmm. everyone to agree to a lockdown. Then mm -hmm. they um, said they're rolling out a jab. It's going to start in January 21, 2021. Um, we're only going to give it to the most vulnerable. It's only going to be one jab just to protect them. And then it was the 60s and then the 50s, then the 40s, then the 30s, then the 20s, then the kids. Then it's two jabs. Then, oh, no, now it's a booster, regular booster. Keep you protected. Now it's four jabs. Now it's five jabs. And the EU commission have just ordered enough jabs to give everyone 12 jabs. Yeah. You know, so the moment these needles went into arms in 2021, the death rate went through the roof immediately. It was all of the elderly and the vulnerable people that were being jabbed. They were dying. They were dropping yeah. down dead. Um, they were all being labeled as COVID deaths. They weren't COVID deaths. So I washed and dressed them all. You know, I never okay, wore uh, John, a mask. Pause, pause for a moment here. You're a funeral director. If just if you're just tuning in, John O'Looney here from England live. It's in, late in the evening there. And he's describing not what he saw on the news. Not what he heard on a podcast of any kind, but what he saw firsthand in receiving the bodies coming in when they started initiating the jabs. That is when the death rate started climbing. Am I correct in yes. saying that? 110% correct, yes. People were dying after being vaccinated. And I had a very interesting encounter today. So today I went into the chemist locally, the pharmacy, and I was in the queue uh, to pick up some painkillers because I've got uh, undertaker's back. And uh, Kara came in and she was with an elderly gentleman that she was obviously looking after. She had, you know, a lanyard on with a, her ID card on. And um, she said, oh, I'm here um, to give this gentleman a flu jab. So straight away, I could feel the airs on the back of my neck going because I know what these in injections are doing. You know, these some people are dying 90 minutes after I've been given them. You know, I know because I speak to the families. Um, now, I kind of pulled her to one side. I said, look, I hope you don't mind me telling you I'm an undertaker. And, um, you know, I'm really concerned. I overheard what you said because I'm seeing a lot of elderly people dying not long after being jabbed. And she said, and I expected her to say, oh, really? And be surprised. She said, yes, I know. She knew. Yeah, she knew. And, and she's taken this guy in under the guise of being a carer to yeah. give him a flu shot. You know, so I kind of said, OK. I what said, well, doing? yeah, what are you doing? You know, oh, well, I've got no choice. You know, it's not my decision. Well, it is because you're bringing him in. You know, and I kind of said, if he falls over and dies, I said, that's on you. That's on you. You've just stood there and told me. Oh, well, I'm only doing what I'm told. You know, when you're like, no, no. these And these people know. These doctors know. I've had doctors in here filling in cremation paperwork. They admit it. I, I put out an appeal. I've got a Telegram channel. I put out an appeal um, about three weeks ago now for any nurses who want to tell the truth to reach out to me. I've had over 60 have reached mm -hmm. out to me um, mm -hmm. to tell me exactly what's going on. And and the two years prior, I've had loads of people reach out to me. So 2020, people started dying, and that went on for about 12 weeks, a pandemic death rate, and then it evaporated, it stopped, and it went really calm. And um, in September of 2021, I was invited to go down to Westminster to a meeting um, with a couple of government ministers. I was invited by a guy called Mark Sexton, who's a retired police officer. And he'd obviously seen, because I was very vocal then, I was speaking to anyone that I listened out of desperation, you know, because people are dying. 
I've, I've had 23-year-olds, 28-year-olds who have died minutes after being jabbed, 90 minutes after being jabbed. They fell over and died. You know, 28-year-olds, no comorbidities, loads of them, loads of 23-year-olds, 32-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 45-year-olds, people that just don't normally die. You know, um, they're dying from a mixture now, I'm finding, of sudden, very aggressive cancers and um, heart attacks due to, or strokes, due to their arteries being blocked up with like a white growth. And there's a guy called Richard Hirschman, um, who's an Alabama-based embalmer, who's talked about this extensively. Um, I've seen exactly the same thing in deceased in my care. You know, uh, in fact, a 30-year-old, I pulled large they're not clots. Um, it was well documented on the Epoch Times. There was an analysis of what it actually contains, and I can forward that to you. Um, yeah, fact, we've covered uh, some stories on that, and feel free to do so. But yeah, you, you're yeah, yeah. dealing with the bodies, and I, I don't know the embalming process fully, but I mean, is there an engagement of utilizing the the the, the vascular system to deliver something that would preserve the body uh, that could yeah, be blocked? So, so there are two types of embalming that we do. One is called a straight case, and that's where someone hasn't had a post-mortem. And the other one is a post-mortem case. Now, with a straight case, you make an incision in the carotid artery just below the collar line. You cut the artery halfway through, and then you've got an L-shaped nozzle on your embalming pump. And you push it down one side of the artery, and you tie off with twine. You pump, and it goes all around the body. And you know when it's got to the extremities because... Uh, the fluid is pink in color and it puts color back in these people and as you see the pink go down the arms and to the fingertips you know you've got good amount of embalming fluid in these people okay. and it preserves them and you then you turn the top the pump round and it does the top of the head it does the head and face so that's a straight case now we've been noticing for about 18 months we've been struggling to embalm some people um and we managed to track that down to jab recipients. And we kind of heard rumors of clots and seen an increase in the young death rate. Um, and then I watched uh, about February of this year, March of this year, Richard Hirschman mentioned that he'd been finding these really unusual growths inside people's arteries. They're calling them clots because they symptomatically behave like clots. Right. And they're not clots. They're not clots. They're not like anything we've ever seen before. So no. And in fact, if you if you Google shortage of anticoagulant drugs, heparin being one mm -hmm. of them, um, there's a massive shortage because there's massive demand. Now I can tell you, these anticoagulants are not going to touch these clots inside. I was going to ask you, does the heparin? They're not going to work. No, no they're, they're not going to. They're not clots. They're be behaving like clots. Right. So when you think, what is the two most natural forms of demise for people is cancer and heart mm -hmm. attack or stroke. And mm -hmm. that's what these vaccines are reproducing. But we're seeing it in massive numbers. So um, a post-mortem case, which is the second type of embalming we do, uh, when someone goes in for post-mortem, they cut them up the middle, they cut them around the back of the head, lift the head over, take the brain out to test that. They'd also cut them down the middle, open the cavity up, take each organ out, cutting through the vascular system and the cardiac system. Uh, uh, they take blocks and slides from the um, organs. Then the organs go into a plastic bag, and that bag is placed back in the body cavity and sewn up. So when a deceased comes to us that's had a post-mortem and the family requests embalming, we have to cut the stitch in, open the body cavity up, take the bag out, and then manually target each of the severed arteries 
that are in the Godava, in, in the groin area, you know, where this mm-hmm. cavity would be full of organs. Yeah, because it had it disconnected through the... the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've the cut organ. these organs out. Yeah. So all of the arteries that feed these organs mm-hmm. have been cut. And when we looked at this young guy who died suddenly, no comorbidities, um, his arteries are full, literally full of white... Uh, it looks like calamari. You know, if you see a YouTube yeah. video and you see particularly sadistic people who pour molten aluminium down a termite mound and it yeah. forms a cast of it, yeah. that's what this stuff is doing. It's growing inside arteries until it totally blocks the artery and blocks the blood supply yeah. and causes heart attack and death. Or so you, you actually saw this in your office as you're doing a post-mortem? Yes, yeah, we, we were pulling them out. I've got loads <laughs> of photos. Loads of photos. Um, yeah. uh, I've documented it quite oh well. Yeah, um, so so uh, the way it works is this. If I open up 10 people, some people have got arteries, and they're like my little finger. They're really big arteries. And in the trade, we kind of call those cow arteries because they're huge. Mm-hmm. You know, they must be blessed with wonderful low blood pressure and other people have an artery like um, a biro pen a lot thinner and it's a broad spectrum but everything between that now if you've got 10 kids and line them up and all born on the same day they're all going to grow at different rates aren't they Mm -hmm. so if people are who've had these poisons are growing white stuff in their arteries some of them are going to grow this white stuff quicker than others that's just the way biology works, isn't it? In the same way, some people grow taller than others. You know, some of them are going to reproduce this white stuff. Whatever it be, they're going to grow it quicker. Now, if the planets align and they've got narrow arteries and they grow this white stuff quickly, they're going to fall over and die first. Yeah, they're going to die suddenly. And then when that's, seen, uh, yes, that's why we're seeing record numbers of footballers, athletes, etc., cetera, right. et cetera. It's been well documented. Um, but the most disturbing thing is that the coroners are not, accepting this they're not acknowledging it and and uh, you know people like Fauci and Gates they know this is happening they know it's happening so mm-hmm. I wrote to my local coroner um, with an email in the hope of a reply I, they didn't reply because I wanted the paper trail so what I got was a phone call two days later um, and that said to me now I spoke to the pathologist he's happy he doesn't need any samples and he suggests that this stuff might have grown in this man's arteries um, post-mortem what you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah like i'm like i'm an idiot you know right. um i i've never seen anything like this um in 16 years in undertaken my embalmer is bie registered the mm-hmm. british institute of embalmers he's done 20 years um, richard hurstman i think has done 25 um ben, brent and faithful is another one who's speaking out there's another guy called robert watson um there are more and more people within the industry are now speaking out about these disturbing clots that they're finding you know but it's not as disturbing as the reaction of the authorities. Now, as a funeral director, I have to raise concerns to the authorities. If I pick someone up from a hospital and I roll them over and there's a, a knife hanging out of their back or I was yeah, punctured. You, you would have to communicate that. Hey. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, for two reasons. One, I'm obliged by law to do it. And number mm-hmm. two, is a decent human, you know? Sure. So I kind of raised the concern. They're not interested. They're not acknowledging it. They won't acknowledge it. And when I questioned the chief coroner of England, I got a single sentence reply. We follow government policy. That was it. Yeah. So well, just following orders. Just yeah, like that other person order. you mentioned. And, and you know, yeah. we come back to the Nuremberg trial, the Nuremberg Code. Oh, we only did what we were told. Yeah. But I, I really think that expecting the system that's actually orchestrating this cull to punish the system 
Oh, yeah. Not really we can't look the only, we're not going to, um, I mean, certainly you've got the Second Amendment over there and a bit more of a fighting chance if things degenerate to that level. We're unarmed over here. So I think the only route we can take is non-compliance and form yeah. our own societies uh, um, outside of the realm of these demons. Um, mm -hmm. So last September, I've been very vocal about what I've been saying, you know, because I've put more kids in coffins under 40 in the last 18 months than I've seen in the previous 10 years. You know, even when I worked for, so when I worked for the co-op, this is a big funeral provider with a large market share. I could count the, the particular branch we were in, we're doing seven, 800 funerals a year on average. And I could count the amount of people under 50 um, or under 40 even on one hand um, in, in a 12 month period. And um, I've done that as a small family run funeral director doing three, four funerals a week. Um, I've done that some months. Um, and jab recipients, you know, they're dying in phenomenal numbers, numbers that I have never, ever seen. And like I say, the most chilling thing is the total refusal for anyone in power to accept it. So I've been very vocal and I've been warning as many will listen. Many haven't, sadly, and many have died. Yeah. I got invited to a meeting in Westminster in September mm -hmm. of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, I attended, um, it was reported um, by the Guardian or, or one of these um, shield papers as, as uh, a group of anti-vaxxers. Let me tell you who was at the meeting. Dr. Tess Laurie was at that meeting. Um, Professor Dolores Cahill was there. Dr. Sukarit Bhakti. Um, Dr. Stephen Frost. Um, uh, Dr. Mike Eden, the former CEO Eden, of Pfizer. Yeah. Right. yeah, they were all there. There was yeah. about 18 people there. So we all had audience with um, a guy called Sir Graham Brady. Now, Sir Graham is the commissioner of the 1922 committee a very he's the top politician in this country or, or the top puppet in this country sadly because clearly governments don't run things um in europe it's these 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 um corporations these entities because he was told in no uncertain terms exactly what was going to happen so the way the meeting went is we all had five or 10, 15 minutes in our respective fields. Um, me, obviously, I spoke as an undertaker to Sir Graham and I told him my concerns of what I'd seen. Um, he kind of listened and nodded uh, and I watched reams and reams of evidence of sterilisation and people um, dying between two and five years. i be honest with you, I, I sat and listened to what others said and I was like, I couldn't believe what I was listening to, you know? There were in no no doubt whatsoever, you know, that, that many people will die as a result of these gene therapies. It's not a vaccine, it's a gene therapy. No, it's a gene therapy. John, let me pause you for a second, ask you about the numbers again. As we pointed out, and again, you're confirming things we've reported on, and thank you for that. Eyewitnessing as well, uh, that in 2020, no overall increase in mortality and in, 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 in the body count was not higher. It was just no, there was a there was yeah. a brief blip in March yeah. and April, right. but despite yeah. despite that blip, the numbers were still lower. So then we come into post jab time. Now we're seeing numbers that are exceeding norm in terms of average. That would indicate, in one sense, step back. Oh, there's a pandemic going on, but the pandemic is not in this case caused by a virus. It's caused by, in my opinion, and I think what the you're jab. seeing is all the jab itself creating yes. died suddenly or sudden adult death syndrome. Yeah. in young adults and teenagers yeah. across the board in numbers that you had never seen before as uh, an undertaker, that bodies are coming um, in at every age. I've been, 
I've been very vocal and one of the um, I'm quite surprised how people have engaged with me, you know, because I kind of thought that I would speak out. And the pattern that I see is not unique to my funeral home. Trust me, they all see it. Um, unfortunately, we, I, I, the mistake I made was thinking that everyone was wired like me and had a moral compass. A lot of people haven't. They care more about their direct debits than they do the lives of strangers. Yeah. I don't. I care very much about everyone else, probably more than I do myself. So I thought I would speak out and, and people would all step up to the plate. And um, that didn't happen. And that mm-hmm. was, um, I find that very upsetting. So, yeah. um, John, this is why, you know, I just want to share, share this for the entire audience, including you. Uh, I think tomorrow is the first episode of the uh um, the, the propaganda exposed uncensored edition. We got nine part series of which I, you know, I'm, I'm in, I think eight of them, but the point is there is so much propaganda that it preceded the COVID jabs preceded COVID itself, but they have mastered the art of shutting down dissent and uh, views such as yours, even oh, eyewitness views to try and dis- dismiss you as, you know, uh, you know, somebody that's not credible, but as you've established credibility as an undertaker for 15 years now, and others that have seen this firsthand, the fact that they're not reporting are not concerned about it and saying government officials, we're just following orders, uh, should tell you all you need to know. We're not relying on the BBC or ABC, NBC, CNN, Fox, even to deliver this information. We must communicate through the new means with which we have the ability to do so. Plus we must get together. In fact, I would, I would go so far as to say is whatever is reported, the truth is actually the polar opposite. Not likely to be so. Yeah, so so I I kind of, um, uh, anyway, I left this meeting, I went to the meeting in in Westminster in in Birdcage Walk, uh, September the 21st, it was a Tuesday. It was due to run from two o'clock till half past three. Sir Graham stayed till four o'clock purely because of the gravity of what was said, and he knew, he Mm. knew, uh, he kind of confessed it was above his pay grade. And he would do what he could. And he couldn't promise anything. And lo and behold, nothing's changed. So it was put to Sir Graham that um, at the end of the meeting, when the masses find out and realise what's been done, there'll be civil unrest. There'll be civil war. Oh, sure. Yeah. And he, he, well, he actually said the government knew this and they were expecting it. And they were actually surprised it hadn't already kicked off. And this was last September. This um, is why we see calls for amnesty by those that are guilty. Yeah, in advance, because um, they know what's happening. They see the people wake up. They're like, oh, no, they're not going to hold me accountable. Let's call for amnesty. Uh, John, I'm, how, honest how with you, I'm really yeah. surprised um, that in a land full of guns, <laughs> these yeah. people have not been able to account. Well, yeah, we have great restraint in America. I think people think yeah. from the outside world, oh, you're a bunch of murdering whatever. No, no, no. Guns, With, don't, guns don't kill people. people exactly. Kill people. And yeah. we are realizing that it is the government and those that are owned and controlled by the pharmaceutical industry are killing people. The well, doctors do you know what are I've, killing um, people. The hospitals are killing of, people. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So I've, it's an interesting story. So because I've had a number of people reach out to me because I've gained so much traction, I can't believe the amount of people that are ringing me up, um, victims, doctors, nurses, politicians, military, um, uh, and more harrowingly, victims, you know, they, they're telling me the stories of what's gone on. So one guy that rang me up in uh, about early November of 2021 was a guy who claimed to be British intelligence. He wasn't um, a secret agent. He was uh, in comms and he was very convincing. And I spoke to him for about 20, 30 minutes and he told me a number of things. Some of them I've talked about, some of them I haven't. But he said to me, 
that I was a person of interest and I'd been mentioned and they would target me. And then three weeks later, I mysteriously fell ill. You know, I've been dressing these COVID um, labeled deceased for two years without a mask and suddenly fell ill and I became breathless. And now I went to the hospital. Um, I had three lateral flow tests. Um, all of them were negative. And the nurse said to me, you haven't got COVID. So they put me on a COVID ward anyway, which I find bizarre you know that mm. clearly you know why would you um put a respiratory patient on a covid ward if they didn't have covid yeah um, same thing we've so, seen here in the united states yeah. as well john but so, what, are you, what are, you, are, are you doing the things to keep your immune system strong your liver functioning your vascular system protected i want yeah, to make sure. yeah of course of course yeah. so the, the way it worked anyway the following morning i had a consultant come to uh, and he sat on my bed and he led straight in with a classic World Economic Forum line, he said to me, I'm here to save your life from COVID. So I kind of said to him, okay, I said, have you even looked at my notes? Because I haven't got COVID. I've had three of your tests. And these are the tests that you've been putting people on, on palliative care on the basis of. That, you know, they've been locking old people who mm -hmm. test positive um, inside rooms and starving them to death and yeah. sedating them and giving them um, uh, uh, appetite suppressants, you know? And I know, because I've spoken to doctors and nurses who have reached out to me. Um, and, and anyway, he started stumbling straight away, and he said, well, we want to be sure, we want to save you. I said, okay, how are you going to do that? He said, we want to give you remdesivir. Oh, so, okay, yeah. well, I kind of said to him, I said, okay, I said, will you um, tell me what clinical benefit remdesivir will have for me as a respiratory patient while I look up the side effects? And thankfully, I took a tablet in, so I said, side effects of remdesivir and there it is there were uh, good sites drugs.com difficulty breathing difficulty swallowing tightness of chest wheeziness kidney function liver function i said you know are you insane yeah are you insane and do you know what um he he yeah. just did this and walked out yeah and what yeah walked away yeah. he walked away because and yeah. he said I, i'm only doing what i'm told exactly so, here we go again same scenario yeah, exactly. uh, he had he had he because He's he knew yeah. and he didn't expect he was quite prepared to kill me. Yep. You, you yeah. know, so three hours later I had uh, another girl sat on the end of the bed and she announced she was from Oxford University. She wasn't a doctor, but she's from Oxford University. I said, Oh, okay. She said, I'm here to save your life from COVID. The exact same line wow. from the exact same handbook, the coercion mm -hmm. handbook. So I kind of said to her, Okay, I said, um, how are you going to do that? Because I haven't even got COVID. Have you even looked at my notes? And we went and I said, you know, these are the uh, the tests that you're putting people on palliative care. And anyway, she she looked really nervous. She was floor and ceiling mm -hmm. and floor and ceiling. She couldn't make any eye contact. And she oozed guilt. And you have to be a certain age to see this in people. Um, yeah. she, she was very, very, very guilty. So I kind of said to her, well, how are you going to do this? She said, well, we've got two drugs we want to try you on um one is called baricitinib so uh, just so your listeners can get that baricitinib and the other one was called toxilizumab so toxilizumab and um, they're both used to treat chronic arthritis now i kind of said okay i said let's hold it there she gave me like a fact sheet you know and she said oh and you'll need to sign a waiver to be given these life-saving drugs insane so i kind of said okay let's why you tell me about the, the clinical benefits to me as a respiratory patient? Yeah. Let's have a look at the side effects. Difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, wheeziness, tight chest, um, uh, blood pressure, kidney function, liver function. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, I, I looked at her, I said, can you tell me? I said, how is that going to help me? 
And and the two COVID patients who'd signed the waivers and believed the lie were horrified. They were looking over horrified with their CPAP masks on because they yeah. couldn't breathe, you know. And these wicked, uh, do you know, I want to swear. I'm not going to swear. These scumbags, these scumbags mm -hmm. are killing people and they're yeah. doing it under government policy because they need COVID deaths. And what yeah. they wanted was a prominent anti-vaxxer, which is what I'm labelled as, to die from COVID. Die of COVID, right? Yeah, of course, of course. So I then uh, I discharged myself. I had a three-hour battle to get out of hospital. I had, um, had a guy called Mark Sexton, a retired police officer, come and get me out, along with a Dr. David, who acted as a medical advocate for me. Um, and saved me from these wicked, evil demons who, who were trying to kill me. They even rang my missus and told my missus down the phone I would die within minutes if I left the hospital um, in a desperate attempt to get her to sign me in, you know, for them to be able to keep me. These people are sick. They actually yeah. restrained me physically from leaving. Uh, but whatever it was they'd nailed me with, I, I yeah. felt like I'd been burnt or poisoned. It wasn't an illness. I felt yeah. like I'd been burnt i felt burnt yeah um so, so i kind of said to him uh, i said you know this isn't a prison i said it's a hospital i said you won't keep me here because i'm leaving so anyway i left um i went home uh, went, i was back at work a few weeks later and i guess they tried to um salvage something out of the attempt on my life because i took a phone call from the bbc he said oh mm -hmm. hi it's three counties radio um we want to do uh, get your story on covid so, okay, okay, I said, I don't think you do. I said, because you won't broadcast what I've got. And I told him what I've just told you. Um, oh, oh, he said, let me go and speak to my producer. And he went away, scuttled away like a rat. Yeah. Uh, and, and then came back and he said, oh, yeah, we would like to see you. But what we'll do is a pre-recorded thing. I said, oh, okay. I said, you come to the funeral home. I said, and what I'll do, to keep it impartial, I'll film that interview. Uh, and they, oh, oh, um, um, uh, oh, no, we don't think we're going to bother. You know, and you're yeah. like, yeah, you scumbag. You know, I've even written uh, uh, to the hospital. Hey. I, I CC'd him 40 other doctors. So you don't even get a reply. These people yeah. are demons. John, God bless you for standing up. And I've got no choice. Up. I've got no choice because what yeah, would you do? I, if you saw a blind man crossing the road, there are yeah. two types of people. There's someone who'd get their phone out to film it. And yeah. there's someone that would go and tap that man on the shoulder and say, let me help you. That's nice. the kind of guy I am. I wouldn't, yeah. be, I'm never going to be complicit in genocide. Listen, I, I, I'm not much for drinking beer, although I like beer. I would love to go to the pub with you and just hang out. You're a great guy. Uh, and I appreciate sure. you so much for being on the show and staying up late tonight in England of all places that you are here. We are in America. And of course the, the show goes out all over the world, including UK health radio. And uh, may that story just uh, reverberate around the planet until no more people are uh, victimized. By these well, criminals. I just um, I just don't want people to take any of these flu shots or any of these jabs because they are going to get sick and they are going to die. I've lost yeah. four friends in the last six weeks. Every one of them we've jabbed. lost friends to the protocols in the hospitals. Yes, um, John, I, I got to run. We're about out of time, but uh, if there's any other breaking news you want to relay to us, stay in touch. Uh, and you know, yeah, I, I pray for your safety as well in the midst of it. But your safety is involved with speaking out now. Making I sure really, I, I, um, I, I don't care about me. If I cared about me, I'd just carry on taking the money and say nothing. God bless well, America, and thank God for the wisdom of your forefathers and the Second Amendment. That's all I can say, because it gives you guys a chance of defeating this tyranny, and I hope that happens, because otherwise and, we're all finished. And, John, thank God for your missus, who didn't sign you back in, despite... <laughs> the, yeah, well, yeah. she trusts me enough. Um, yeah. She trusts me enough to know that I know what I'm on about. Yeah, very good. 
John, will you you have a good rest, a good sleep, and get together with uh, the friends that are with you on this? There are more and more every day, and we pray for all. Yeah, of those they're, they're, um, they're, they're, I, I, I get phone calls constantly all day. They're not flocking to the government narrative; they're flocking to our banner, and it's yeah. now a race against time to wake as many people up with non-compliance mm-hmm. here, so we can say no, we're not doing it. John, do you have a website or anything you want people to stay in touch with you? I, I um, do you know, um, I, I, it's Milton Keynes Family Funeral Services. I'm not writing a book. I haven't got a film. I don't want anyone's money. I just don't want to see kids get killed. And that's what's happening. Um, and I want it to stop. And I want um, I want to, us to, to change things so we can install people with a moral compass in, into power and, and not these demonic yeah. psychopaths. Amen. John Olooney, thank you for being here. You get some rest, and uh, maybe we'll talk again. But thank you for everything that you are, uh, you know, willing to communicate, which is everything. And I uh, wish we had more time, but we can do a part two if need be. If anything else yeah, comes please, up, uh, feel free to reach out anytime. I, I, you know, I'll talk to anyone that will listen because mm-hmm. there's never been a more enti- important time in human history than yeah. now. Yeah. All right, John. Thank you for being a part of the Robert Scott Bell Show today. And uh, shout out to everybody in Great Britain. Uh, this is a man you should be uh, looking out for and protecting as well for his willingness to speak out, protect you. Uh, by the way, the Propaganda Exposed Uncensored Edition is launching tomorrow. For those of you who are new to the Robert Scott Bell Show, maybe you haven't gotten the newsletter emails yet. Uh, please, there's a, um, a banner as well in the show notes today and at the website, robertscottbell.com. And this is something not only for you, but to share with everybody at this point. Do not be afraid to share this. The, the worst they can say is, don't send me that. But this is the kind of thing that will help break the cycle of this ever occurring again. We must teach our kids and their kids and uh, continue on in this journey. Also, shout out to our friends at orangeguard.com. Orangeguard.com. This is the delimiting-based pesticide that doesn't cause cancer. It cures it. <laughs> I said that. They didn't say that. But I know delimiting is an anti-cancer agent as well. But it is used safely to get rid of the fire ants, the ants, the roaches, the bugs, even spiders, and it will not harm your kids or your pets. And it's OMRI certified or listed for organic agriculture. That's why I can use it even in my organic uh, garden and greenhouse if need be. OrangeGuard.com, you can get it at your localized hardware store. You can get it at the Whole Foods or uh, direct at OrangeGuard.com. We're going to wrap up here momentarily and come back with the bonus round if you want to stick around. There's a lot to talk about, and I'm sure Super Don has some things to say about the interviews today, especially what John O'Looney revealed uh, on the Robert Scott Bell Show here. Thank you for being here. We will check you out in the chat room if you got questions or comments and uh, find out about how this board is working for Super Don so we can actually take calls on the air. Maybe in the bonus round, we'll try one. I don't know. Could happen. Don't go away. 60 seconds or a blink of an eye if it's on the podcast later. We'll be right back. The power to heal is yours. Okay. Wow. What a show, Super D. Just a- it went by very fast. Yeah, I did. And it was just- you know, this is we talked about the X Files, right? <clears throat> and mm-hmm. seeing the reality uh, that truth is stranger than science fiction. And now we have, you know, an undertaker who witnessed this and is talking, speaking out about it, calling people to the carpet for it, so to speak, and witnessing the same patterns that we've seen here in the United States and England. And I, I just, uh, you know, I got to ask you, Super D, you know, seeing it and hearing it, I mean, versus just reading it online, it, it's quite different. 
to some degree. I mean, I see it's like a, a reality of it sets in the witness, you know, the eyewitness versus just, you know, hearing somebody else's story and reading about it. Yep. Yeah, I know the, um, yeah, no, I hate it when people say, <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I had seen some videos from, from John O'Looney back in the day, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, when he was first talking about this sort of thing. And there's one particular video. I wonder if I could find it real quick here where he, uh, he actually has blood clots in a jar Yeah, and he's showing the blood clot. It was just like, Ooh! Uh, I'm guessing like formaldehyde or something or whatever. But um, in any case, it was crazy, crazy for somebody like that. Because look, I mean, what what reason would John O'Looney have to make all this stuff up and end up on the TV and or you know on the radio or on the internet or something like that? You know, I mean, I I, the guy's been doing this for you know how many years did he say? Fifteen, thirty something years. Well, fifteen years more than that. You know, you know, within the system. So he's going to notice these these changes, you know, because he gets in there and he's doing these things Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so, you know, it was a big deal when he when he came out um, and started pointing this stuff out. And uh, and just like everybody else that had something to say that they observed, you know, that they were qualified to to point out or something like that, he got sidelined. You know, Um, like like most people. Now here we are. What three years later? Mm-hmm. Two years later. Um. Now what? Yeah. You know, I mean, the damage is done. Unfortunately. Well, that's why they're calling you know? for amnesty because the people are starting to see it. And yeah, it's ugly. Well, it's really ugly. I mean, you, you hear the Brit, John O'Looney saying, "I'm glad you Americans have guns." Uh, yeah, that was kind of yeah, <laughs> kind of unusual, huh? God bless, God bless America. Yeah, we've heard and, that from and, Australia and New Zealand and Canada too. When Second all, Amendment. We were gun nuts in yeah. America and they're saying, don't give up your guns. This is not the first time I've heard that. But in the context of when you see no remedy within this, the entire governmental system, in fact, they are colluding to terminate you. At what point do you go, oh man, how how much restraint can you have? And I and I said to him, and he agreed. I mean, we're very restrained. It isn't that we're gun nuts in America. In fact, the responsible gun owners are like, they don't want to engage because they know what it means. It's the people that don't mm-hmm. understand what it means, you know, that would just go, yeah, let's just shoot everybody. It's like that's not what we're arguing for. But at a certain that's, point, yeah, you, that's not what you can't be nice to tyrants and expect them to be nice back to you. They will be nicely ushering you into the uh the ovens. And the ovens are the hospitals at this point with remdesivir and other drugs. I didn't realize that story of him going into the hospital and tried to kill him twice. G. Edward Griffin's story of going to the hospital. We got the Red Pill Expo coming up this weekend. He woke up three times at night and, and they tried to give him remdesivir. But by the grace of God, he got out of there alive. And we're going to be together in the Salt Palace Convention Center this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, 12, 13 November. I want to see you there. If not, stream it. I'll be there. RSB for the 10% discount, by the way. All right, what what else did we not cover today that we should before we wrap up here in, in the bonus round? Any, uh, we pretty up? much got everything. The only thing I think we missed, um, and, you know, it's not necessary, but uh, there was an article out of the UPI that I'd thrown into the mix there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever. Here's the headline. Study. Study. Uh, myocarditis risk two to three times higher 
from Moderna than Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Hmm. Now you might go, why, why is this interesting, right? Well, I looked at this and I'm going, how funny is it that you've got Pfizer and Moderna arguing over whose vaccine sucks more? Hmm. Um, it's two to three times higher. Myocarditis risk, apparently, according to this, is Moderna mm-hmm. uh, over Pfizer. That doesn't mean Pfizer doesn't give you myocarditis, too. Right. It just means, if this is accurate, that, that the uh, Moderna one is a little bit more dangerous than the Pfizer one. You remember when they went after Pfizer for myocarditis? And I, said I do. That yeah. was like, who, who, uh, who's connected? Who uh, paid more? And Moderna yeah. won that. And, and so they tried yeah. to say... Pfizer is the bad guy, the bad one. And yeah. it, but there was also there were studies that were done that were saying that Moderna was safer. Mm-hmm. But now Moderna, Moderna is not safer. No, quite the opposite. Not and it just makes it. I, you know, I can't help but look at these studies when they come out and just go. You know what? I think, I think these studies are all BS. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 you've got Pfizer, uh, and maybe I'm just being extra cynical. But I I, I think you've got Pfizer going okay. Get this study over here, so like that, and mm-hmm. like that, because now we want to make Moderna look bad. And then Moderna's like, "Oh yeah, no, 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 wait a minute, let's get our scientists. We're going to do some studies over here, and we're going to show that Pfizer's bad." And why would they do that? Mm-hmm. Because they want to make more money, right? Yeah. They want people to, to to get their vaccine. They want people to buy their vaccine, right? It's all about money. Yeah, but at the cost of killing people. I mean. Or at the least, giving people myocarditis, which can kill people, yeah. but it can make them really sick. Well, and can give them heart really damage. Does, right, that heart damage doesn't go away. But anyway, I just thought that was funny because mm-hmm. I just I could see, you know, it's just like, yeah, both of both of them can give you myo- myocarditis, but yours will give people mm-hmm. more myocarditis. So we're yeah. going to make sure that we publish the study. And how about Dr. Tesselori? She was terrific. First hour, what an amazing doc with great integrity, great heart, and I. I appreciate that. It was a really British themed show today. Yes, it was. The uh, folks over at UK Health Radio, even though they're not hearing what we're saying right now, because this is the bonus round. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully, we'll, we'll we'll appreciate today's show. We're in bonus round, so I can talk shop. Um, I'm hearing some strange gating with your your microphone. It's like it goes up and down a little bit, and and I don't know if it's corresponding to when you're turning your head or not, because it's a different microphone. It's a directional microphone. Oh, so it may be that. So if I turn my head like this or something like that, it's it's not a it's it's not a cart cart. I think it's called cardoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's right here. Yeah. It's it's right here. This is where it is. Yeah. It's not over here, uh-huh. and it's not over here. It's right here. This is where. Well, so, it sounded like a processing thing to me, so I'll just pay attention to it. You oh, you think so? Back. Just a little bit. That, that that anyway, you'll listen back to it and and see if you hear it. Uh, towards okay. the end, but uh, it might be just. I actually was getting something similar to that from you as well. Okay, so maybe our board during the interview. The so I don't How know. is it going out to everybody? You guys, the audio been good today, for the most part. Give us it some sounded feedback. good when I when I was monitoring it yesterday. I came across kind of loud when I was when I was uh, mm-hmm. at, at times. But like I said, it's like you know sometimes I'll lean in and I'll do this you know type thing, and then it'll be different when I once I get the boom because I'll be able to have it yep. like right here. Correct. Yeah, it's 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 a little different when it's on the the table. Plus, you get mm-hmm. desk sound, which I won't get with the uh, with the boom, which will be here. Uh, I think Thursday or Friday. Yeah, 
God Thank bless you, Dan y'all. Larson. Yeah, Dan Larson, amazing, yep. and others that have uh, contributed to make this technological upgrade possible. And uh, we tested the call. We couldn't get one live on the air. I thought we could try one in bonus round, but I might be too ambitious today uh, to do that. But that's something I'm intrigued to to consider. And well, I just have to have somebody to call. Yeah. Who wants to be called? Anybody out there want to be called to see if we can test getting our first uh, phone call on the on the air in bonus round? Jay says good audio today. Thank you, Jay. And Diana right. says loud and clear. All right, great. Thank you. Um, so I want to make sure that we, you know, Where's Leslie? technology is working. Is I don't see Leslie today. She's probably out milking a goat. I don't know. Something's going on. She's out there doing something. You guys are going to be in for a, a special treat. Mm-hmm. Dawn says uh, our audio is good. Mom says our audio is very good. So looks like okay. great. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Lori, our friend Lori, did you see she got a job working from home? I saw the announcement. Congratulations. I did God see bless that. You, yes. That's great news. Oh, did we, we did, did we select a day for our AMA this, uh, this November 2022? You know, we were going to put it up for a vote. We made us, you gave us a suggestion, a suggestion. Yeah. Uh, but we had not made, we had not written it in stone. I think we were going to go for Saturday the 20th okay. because, well, the option was Saturday. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's the 19th or 20. Ah, gosh, the 19th. See the 26th is Thanksgiving weekend. I don't think that's good. And then we move into the next. So I think we're going to have to default to the 19th of November, a Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Saturday the 19th. Mm-hmm. AMA, yeah, and that's on a Saturday, so it will be at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Yeah, and I'm gonna invite you, and I'm gonna invite Kevin. Okay, and so if you want to be part of the next AMA, uh, just become a, a patron supporter of the Robert Scott Bell Show. <laughs> I would say um, anybody that donated, All right, it's on the calendar. Super Don, anybody that donated to our new board. You know, all the technology mm-hmm. we need to upgrade, the material. Yep. Um, if they're not part of the patron, because some some people wanted to donate and don't want to do the patron thing. If you yep. can find out their email address, I can give them a special invitation to be part. Of I need your help with me on or with me. Yeah. I need I need your help yeah. with that. Okay. Um, we can talk about that after we get off the air okay. on, on getting those names together. Okay. All right. So it's officially uh, on the calendar now, okay. Saturday the 19th. Okay. Yep, we are confirmed then. So, so you ready to try something here? Yeah, go ahead. Let's see what happens. Okay. We're trying a phone call. First phone call, live phone call on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Syndicated radio. Hey. Hey, Kevin. Yeah, what's up? How's it going, man? Good. Are you, what are you up to? Are you going to tell him he's on the air? You are officially the first live phone call on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Oh my goodness! Since we were what on an honor. syndicated radio. <laughs> so, Kev, did you eat all of uh, the Leslie uh, apple pie and, and pumpkin pie yet that she made for us when we were together after Branson? Uh, well, I have you know, I had one piece of apple pie last night as my kids devoured the rest of it, so that is gone. Oh man, um, and good. it was delicious yeah. and. None of us are ashamed of how much we ate. <laughs> no, nor should you be. That was wonderful. Nice. So how, how was it? You got to tell me, how was it uh, riding in a car with Robert Scott Bell for like five hours? Don't tell him the truth. You 
No, he's he's a lot more reserved on air than he is in the car. So it was it was difficult, kind of like a, a child bouncing off the walls. I thought it was the opposite. Does he fart in the car? <laughs> <laughs> Not too much. Not too, no, reasonable okay. amount. Just a reasonable amount, right. whatever that is. <laughs> no, we actually got to listen to some good podcasts while we were together and, oh, yeah. and talk about the things in the podcast. Mm-hmm. So it was Did he bring his yes cassette? No, he refused me the ability to play yes in the car. He wouldn't let <laughs> he me. couldn't play yes. So in like, the I'd have to get out of the car, and it was my ride. I couldn't, I couldn't push it. We listened to some, right. some folk rock, put, which was good. You put yes on, you're walking. Yeah, I was like, I had to, I had to comply in that case. It was just a bummer. Um, so, but no, we had a great time, and thanks. Hey, yeah, we got to listen to the Lumineers. Yeah, and and we met a lot of cool people at the uh, the the event. We we should probably get Clay Clark on now that we've attended one because it was all theoretical until it actually happened. You have to see if he'll return your phone calls now that you've gone. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, he did call me to make sure I was there. That's what made it happen. And I talked with right. Kevin about how to make it happen, and we did it. But um, it was pretty amazing. And I know there were thousands of people there, standing room only, and um, it's a whole different crowd that that we introduced. And and Super D, you said, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people signed up for the newsletter when I was up there on stage. I told them how to do it. And <laughs> Steve McCaff, oh, that was the coolest thing to watch because as you as you presented to the crowd you said take out your phones mm-hmm. and you know type in rsb to 22828 and 660 people did it like right then so that, that was Literally, really cool yeah. to see so, yeah. yeah yeah well that's yeah. right we're trying to break the cycle of being the best kept secret in health talk media and um you definitely helped by making sure we could be there and thanks to clay clark i want to get him back on the show and talk about the experience because it was uh again i didn't know what to expect till we were there and it I hope it went well. I think it went well. Anyway, I enjoyed it. All right. Well, Kevin, appreciate well. you. Yeah. Appreciate you being the the phone call guinea pig for the show today. It looks like it's it's working uh, uh, brilliantly. Now the question is, can you do overlays in, on a oh, my pleasure? You know, to say Kevin from wherever. You know, Kevin from Wisconsin is on the air, and you show an overlay so we know who we're talking to. I wasn't prepared for that, but I can. You can do that too. All right. I definitely can. Yes. That's amazing. Well, we've we've hit another level. All right, here on the show. So thanks, Kev. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Love, Have a great day. Love to the whole you family. Too. All right. So proof of concept. It's there. We now. Those weren't the kids I was remembering when they were the kids were cheering. I have not. I have not created the uh, the kid button yet. Can you program? These, these were the ones. The only one that I programmed was this one. So you just hit the button on the new Roadcaster Pro Two. Is that right? Yeah. So you programmed yeah. something yourself that was not included in it. What happens is I've got these pads here. Yeah. And each one of those has a sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like. Yeah. The air horn. Yeah. Right. Or if you say something, uh, you know, kind do you of have, uh, uh, do you have toot noises? Cause, uh, <laughs> I have not, I have not done the, um, I've not done the fart. Button. That would have been a perfect time when Kevin, that would have been, that was not planned. <laughs> in any, so you can in always any count case. on us to go to scatological humor at some point. Cause we're just yeah. a bunch of teenage boys around here. 
this coming from the coffee enema guy. Yes, right. No jokes about those. Those are serious business coffee. <sighs> All right. Let's, so anyway, let's look at what's all happening right, so uh, for the rest of the broadcast week. We're going to tomorrow. Be, yeah. mm -hmm. We have got uh, Mark Her from the Center for Self Governance. He's actually one of the speakers at the Red Pill Expo. Excellent. Coming on, to talk about that. Retired U.S. Air Force. I, I, ch I chatted with uh, Ty Bollinger earlier this morning, mm -hmm. and tomorrow is launch day for the propaganda exposed on censored. So he's going to be slammed, but I got him to commit to coming on for like the last 15 minutes. Okay. So at least so. we could talk about the, the rollout. That's good. Correct. Okay. So we'll, we'll fill in the rest of that time with something. Okay, great. Should not be a problem. Then we got, dude, we got Carrie Madej coming uh, back on the show, right? Whatever. Oh, whatever. I say Madej. You say Madej. She says Madej. You don't, you do it like she says. I'm super done. Uh, I can say Madej. However you want. Okay. Just like I can say, what was the other one that I used to say that I was saying wrong? It was a. Uh, you said Bala instead of Bala. Margulis, instead of Margulis. Oh, Margulis, yes, like marvelous. Yes, yes, Margulis, Margulis. <sighs> anyway, all right. So we got Dr. Margaret Aranda on Friday, Friday yeah. in hour one, and Doug Fletcher and Brian Jones in hour two. Okay. In hour two. Very good, and uh, and then the Red Pill Expo this weekend. Excellent. So I'm thinking tomorrow. We do the giveaway for all the uh, those that have, for the yeah orange card yeah the orange card okay and cool. um, probably an hour two since we're only going to have tie in the last fifteen minutes we can do it like in the first four you know first three quarters of the hour or something It'd be fine right yeah all right so I'll need to um, I keep saying I'm going to do it and I keep mm -hmm. um, forgetting to put the collage together with all the new people so I'll do that tonight yeah. So we'll have that for tomorrow. Cool. I've got to, um, I think there's a flat tire. Uh, my wife went out and did some errands and she came back and it was a flat tire. I'm oh, going to no. take that out and see if I can get it repaired. So I'm going to bug out because I'll probably have to pick up my daughter too. Uh, it's kind of cold and wet and rainy. So I'm going to get out there and brave it. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow live uh, less than 22 hours from now, God willing. Thank you all for being here once again. Um, thanks to John O'Looney and thanks as well to Dr. Tess Lowry. Great show. Great guests. Um, people of integrity, love featuring them in the midst of all of this. You can see they're good people among us. Mm -hmm. And that's all I got. All right. You go, you go fix a flat tire. I'm going to go eat something. Okay. And we'll be back tomorrow. All right. Talk to you guys later.